how well did your grandfather know Joseph Kennedy? They did business together in the bootlegging times, and my grandfather didn't like him because he would, they were smuggling immigrants and they were smuggling alcohol or whiskey. And if they were getting chased and they needed to, you know, lighten the load, they would throw the people overboard, the immigrants overboard before the alcohol. And my grandfather just, you know, hated Joe Kennedy because of that. I gotta tell you, man, you are a spitting image of your grandfather in the face. It's kind of trippy. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. It, it is. It <laughs> is. It's, I, I think about that famous picture. I'll put it in the corner of the screen from the cover of Esquire when he was like a really young man. And like when you line that up and then you look at your face, it's like it's all there. Yeah. Well, like I said, thank you. I'll take it <laughs> as a compliment. But you guys have, you know, for people out there listening, I, I know a lot of people are very into. The mafia and the history and and really all the things that it affected in this country and not just talking about like crime like you know there's a lot of buildings in New York that went up with the permission of the mob for example right and you know it doesn't mean though that everyone who's even a fan of that is completely familiar with what is maybe the most unique family history in in the history of the American of the Italian American mafia with the Bananos yeah I mean and recently. You know, somebody compared the the five families, you know, to basically the founding fathers. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but uh, you know, I got his uh, you know his sentiments were you know, yeah, you're right. It's it's part of history. It's part of American history. Uh, it's part of uh, history that people seem to be very intrigued with, and um, you know, so that's part of why I'm you know I'm doing this is to get it straight because my grandfather always felt that he was a little bit uh, misunderstood and. Um, you know, kind of unfairly characterized as this guy that was, you know, wanted to be the boss of bosses where that, that definitely was not, not a term he liked um, mm. at all. He wanted, you know, he didn't even like, you know, he felt there was a big difference between boss and a family, right? A family had a father, I mean, a father and a boss uh, because a family and a corporation were very different things. And he kind of resented that, you know, in America, you know, people started to, you know, equate those things, um, and then over the 30 years, from the 30s to the 50s, a lot of, you know, corporate America kind of adopted the structure <laughs> of, you know, what they had built with the commission and, you know, driving around in big black cars and uh, all that with, uh, you know, the, they were fans, you know. That's the, for lack of a better term. Right. I, I could see that's that. What, that's what I, yeah, ways. kind of the general term I use. They were, they were fans, you know, they were, uh, um, you know, welcomed him and, and wanted to be seen with him and, you know, take pictures with him and. Um, he was, you know, he had celebrity status in what he called the volcano in New York City. The volcano. The I volcano. never heard that. That's pretty good. Yeah. He always referred to it as the volcano. Why? Did he say why? Yeah. Because it was just so tumultuous and there's always something going off and happening. And, you know, he would go out to, you know, Long Island and stuff and his far dairy farm to relax. But when he was in the volcano, he always felt that he mm. was, he was inside of it. And, uh, the way in his, in his book, he, he talks about that quite a bit and, how New York was just, you know, the energy and the, you know, all that was going on was in, well, <laughs> pretty intense. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. And we'll definitely talk about his book today because that's a whole separate story as well with everything that happened afterwards with that coming out back in 1983. But before we get to your grandfather, which is a whole, you know, I, I think it's really important to 
paint like where his life started and how he brought that mentality over here and everything. But before we get there, you were born in New, roughly in New York. Like you grew up when you were at your youngest in New York, right? Yeah, from the time I was one to, to five, you okay. know, basically. Uh, yeah, we lived out in Long Island. And that was the time when, you know, the war was, you know, the banana wars were starting. Um, we, you know, we had a house with a basement and in that basement, you know, had all kinds of supplies and, you know, a number of cots. I mean, it was basically, they were supporting an army and, uh, that's what it looked like. And, you know, there were, there were guns, there were ammo, there were food, there were cots, there were, you know, everything you needed to, you know, <laughs> to conduct, you know, conduct a war. And you're just a little kid seeing that. So you have like no concept of what that right. is. Right. As a little kid, you know, you're, it's your normal, right? Yeah. Of course. They're all uncle. You know, Uncle Carl, <laughs> Uncle Frank, and they loved, you know, as a little kid, they, you know, I loved to roughhouse with them and, you know, play with them and um, did not, you know, you don't know anything's different when you're a kid. You know, it's not until you get older and people start saying, wow, really? That's really happening? Yeah. Right. yeah. And then we, you realize, oh, yeah, that was kind of, oh, I just went out here. Oh, your thing right there? Yeah, don't. Uh, if it, just twist it like that and it'll be okay. good. But the mics are good when that happens. Oh, okay. So, um yeah, it was uh, it was normal to us. You know, we did not um, at the time have any idea. I mean, it was extraordinary, but you don't know it as a kid. It's yeah. just it's just you roll with it, and um, as a little kid, and then when you get older, and you know, people start saying stuff, and that's when that's when you realize and you start to look and ask questions. Is when outsiders start saying, "Why are you, you know why are you, why is this happening? Why is that happening?" Or we read an article in the paper that said this and. You know, I didn't see the article, but when they mentioned it, right. and then you go back and, hey, mom, do you know what they're talking about? You know, then you go find out. So. And it's because your your dad, I mean, we were talking about your grandfather, but your dad, who's obviously your grandfather's son, yeah. he he was the number two in the Bonanno family Correct. during this time period when you were a kid right. in New York. And, right, absolutely. So he was born into it. It sounds like at some point in his teenage years, your grandfather kind of explained to him how things were, and then he started moving towards that life immediately no my you know my grandfather didn't want you know their goal was to have that next generation my dad's generation you know become lawyers and doctors mm. and project managers and teachers and stuff like that well you know when grant you know he, he grandpa you know was hoping that he would become a lawyer you know he was he was going to u of a he was studying law you know but the circumstances called him basically to new york and and have been raised you know, by my grandfather, he, you know, he knew he was aware and he knew what he was supposed to do. And, you know, it was not even a question for him. He just, you know, that's just the way he was, he was wired was he was going to go and, and do what he could to, you know, help his father out. Uh, Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And put his, you know, put his life on hold, basically, because of his sense of duty. What did your grandpa think of that, though? Because, he, as you said, like, he wanted them, he, he envisioned his kids becoming, like, the lawyers and professionals or, right. quote-unquote, in society and not having to do what he did as... A first generation immigrant in that case your grandfather was the kids aren't like what did he did he at first resist that in any way like no no no, don't do this or was it like okay you want to do this let's go well when you know when my dad you know stepped up 
uh, grandpa was, you know, away. He had gotten uh, kidnapped or whatever you want to call that. Uh, mm. He had been abducted and, you know, dad kind of had to, you know, step in. Um, and, you know, I don't think, you know, grandfather, grandpa liked that, you know, the idea, but I think he liked that, you know, it was my dad and he could trust him and he knew, you know, he knew my dad would, you know, follow him and he was completely loyal where the other guys, yeah, he had, you know, strong ties with some of those guys, but his son was, you know, he was more comfortable with that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you think about the, the parallels between the Godfather and where, like the movie and where they took inspiration from. There's clearly several elements that specifically come from your father and your grandfather. I mean, and, and right there alone, you talk about, and we'll get to like the background later, but you know, the time period where your grandfather was abducted and all that in the early 60s, it's very similar to like when Vito Corleone was out of commission and Michael, who wasn't supposed to be a part of that life, stepped up and took care of business. Right. Very, very similar line right there along right. with some other things. For right. Sure. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of indicators that Michael was basically mo modeled after my dad, you know, and you can say that Don Corleone was modeled after Joe Bonanno. You know, there was never, I don't think Mario Puzo ever said that officially, right. but you know, he grew up in the neighborhood. Uh, he knew who they were. Um, you know, the wedding scenes were, um, you know, uh, I don't know. They, they look like could be one of our family weddings, right? Well, the wedding, um, <laughs> the wedding in the Godfather right. was based off of your father's wedding. Well, I, that stole, one we you know stole for my sure. punchline, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but yeah, that's where I was going with that. Exactly. Right. Cause they had this, you know, huge, you know, wedding and, you know, thousands of people and, you know, the, the Waldorf Astoria wasn't, uh wasn't even big enough so they had to have it i think it was called the astor hotel in new york at the time Jeez. was you know was the biggest and you know they had congressmen and senators and you know then everybody from you know their world you know even even enemies showed up you know they were smart enough to sit them at different ends of the <laughs> of the, the reception hall you know but uh, they all showed up out of respect for my grandfather because you know in 56 when they got married i mean that was that was the height you know he was that was his heyday um, yeah you know, he had, you know, 25 years or so of basically peace and, you know, they were making money every, you know, all the five families were, you know, were um, prospering under this, you know, peace that he had put, you know, carefully crafted. Um, and they called that like Pox Bonanno, I think, literally. They did call right? that Pox Bonanno, right? Yeah. That's exactly what he, he liked that term and um, he was very proud of that. Yeah, he's such an interesting guy because when you think about the stereotypical over time historical mafia figures one thing a lot of them have in common is that they're not the brightest bulbs but right. your grandfather and your father were like renaissance men they right. were extremely intelligent well educated went to college the whole nine so i always wondered like how that played out behind the scenes because there is a thing there where it's like you know your grandpa speaks seven languages all this stuff and then he's talking to some guy named Vinny and he's like you want me to whack him yeah you know there's there's clearly like a little bit of a divide there no absolutely uh, you know his his one of his main skills was being able to read people right whether he was talking with you know a thug or you know uh, some sort of intellect he can talk to people on both ends of that spectrum mm. uh and you know, because he, he respected people for who they were. Uh, he had a story. He would say, you know, if I'm, a, if, if I'm in charge and I ask this guy who can only carry 10 pounds, if I ask him to carry 20 pounds, 
you know, worth of whatever up a hill and he fails, you know, that's, that's the boss's fault because he should know that that employee or that soldier, whoever, whatever can only carry 10 pounds. And that's, mm. it's up to the boss to know that. So he was really good at reading people and he took time and he prided himself on being able to judge somebody's character pretty quickly. And I think that's what gave him the ability to, you know, work across that spectrum of people that he had to deal with on a daily basis. No doubt. Now, where where was he born? My grandfather. Yes, your grandfather. Yeah, he was born in Castellamare, in Sicily. Well, yeah, um, yeah. We might have to edit this part because it's it's a little uh, it's it's a little. Uh, he might you know he was born in Sicily. They went there when he was young. Then he went back to Sicily. His father got called back. They went um, to America when he was young. They went saying. to well, yeah, that's what I mean. anyway, right. They went from Sicily to America and then back to Sicily when his father, you know, things had fallen apart in Sicily. There was troubles, so his father went back to deal with those things and you know took his family back. And his father was a part of the Sicilian mafia right. over there. Of right, the you know, but back then, you know, back there it was just you know it was clans and the way they ran things. There was no uh, separate organization. It was the that's the way they did things right. in Sicily. So, right. But so, yeah, he was born in in Castellammare del Golfo. So he's born there, spends a, a couple years, whatever. Comes right. over to America, and then my understanding was it was like maybe when he was like thirteen or something, right. he came back exactly. to Castellammare. Mm -hmm. So he always he was born and raised in a Sicilian household in New York during the time where you know it was all the immigrants living together and stuff. So your grandfather had a very thick Sicilian accent that he maintained his whole life. Yeah, speaking it, English. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that he was always, you know, a little bit uh, uh embarrassed about that he could never really master the English language. He uh, I mean, he was he was articulate and all, but he definitely had that, you know, that thick accent that made right. it made it sometimes difficult for people to understand him. Um and then, you know, the way he talked in in phrases and parables and um, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't easy to follow either. So between the, you know, the high intellect the 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 accent and then just the contents of the story he was telling because you know he didn't tell frivolous stories about you know a football game or anything it was right. always some story that had some historical significance or there was always a moral to the story that he was telling you well he was really into studying like history right like absolutely. he was very into like the classics and and greek mythology and stuff absolutely. like that absolutely yeah and you know he could quote you know the odyssey and um mm. iliad and you know machiavelli and um, he can, you know, he just bring that up from memory and that's, he was very intelligent, man. You know, he can navigate from the stars and he was definitely, like you said, a Renaissance man. Yeah. It's it like language is so interesting to me how, how it's like ingrained in people with how they train their mouth as a young kid to talk because your grandfather is a unique scenario where he was born there came over very young was here for some years but then went back soon enough to where then he's speaking sicilian every day and he doesn't have like the 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 parts of the mouth say that americans use to speak english or whatever so then he speaks with an accent whereas a guy like lucky luciano is born in sicily spends like the first i think it was he spent like the first seven years of his life there right. comes to america and he's got a new york accent right you know what was... i mean it's nuts yeah, he was, you know, fully indoctrinated. You know, he kind of, grandpa used to refer to him as kind of the Americanized mm. and, you know, liked him and, you know, got along. They, you know, they did business together for, you know, a lot of years, but, um, you know, always felt that he was more concerned with, you know, making money than anything else. And, 
you know, grandfather didn't quite, you know, see it that way. He mm. wanted, you know, he was talking about, he, he was more concerned with the structure of the family, you know, and living by the code uh, and, and priding himself on that where, you know, if they made money because of their dealings, that was great, but it wasn't there. It wasn't his main focus. And that was what he said was the difference between him and Lucky. Right. So. Well, when he came back over to Sicily, I think that was when his father died, right? Yeah, he got recruited to uh, go to the war. Um, it was World War One. He got injured. And, mm. you know, apparently when he came back, he was never the same. And, and he passed away from his injuries. Got it. Okay, so your grandfather goes over. He's still going through school, gets a college education, whatever. Like, at what point does he... Because, again, it wasn't like here. It was, as you said, your word, like it was more like clans and stuff over there at the time. Right. At what point did he, like, say, oh, I'm going to go do this now and and go back to America and get involved with well, the mafia? he was going to the uh, Naval Academy in Sicily, and Mussolini was just coming to power. Mm. And um, there's they used to wear white shirts all the cadets or whatever they call them in Sicily we call them cadets that are going to this naval academy and Mussolini came in and wanted them to all wear black shirts well he wasn't going to you know he wasn't going to do that <laughs> and uh you know the next day they were supposed to show up in black shirts he didn't show up he, he showed up in his regular white uniform you know and then the next day they said if you don't show up with your uh you know your black shirts you're going to get expelled and he just didn't show up um, in any shirt, he just didn't show up, and he knew he was uh, he was going to be in trouble. And that's when he, you know, said, "I'm going to him." Well, he was leaving; he didn't know where he was going. But then uh, it ended up he was going to America, and that's right. you know because he had he had been there as a younger kid, and and he made his way back. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this episode, please be sure to share it around on social media and with your friends. Sharing the show and spreading the word is the best possible thing we can do to grow the show and continue to get great guests like this. So thank you to all of you who have done that and thank you to all of you who are going to do it now. And also, if you haven't already subscribed and liked the video, please do that. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, please leave a five-star review if you get a chance. That is a huge, huge help. And thank you to all of you who have already done so. And how did he, like, when he came over, he, he obviously got involved right away, and he had contacts, obviously, from living here and everything, also yeah. considering his dad probably knew all these guys because he was involved. Right. But this was before, like, it's interesting that you talk about Sicily as these clans and stuff because I almost forget it kind of was like that in America at the time, too, because they hadn't, quote-unquote, organized it yet. That That story still had to play out like with lucky right. and the five families and everything and all that that came later absolutely right yeah. so when he came to america it's very it's a very similar setup to sicily at the time no right because they were you know the same people <laughs> um they were just in a different place but their you know societal uh, norms were you know what they knew from the old country so you know they stuck together because there was all kinds of other you know immigrants there was the irish and the germans and the polish and you know so they all, and they all stuck together but the sicilians the castellamarese you know particularly you know stuck together and stuck to their old ways they brought their old ways with them because uh, that's what they knew right yeah. and they weren't uh you know they weren't really welcomed with open arms i mean there were so many immigrants back then they were just you know they weren't I don't think they have a tough time as tough time they have today, but um, you know they weren't rolling out the red carpet. They were just no, you know, people no. coming all the time, and they didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, and and yeah. it it also seems like the the Castellamarese more than 
anyone else in Sicily stuck together because like when you hear about other guys who were from other just other towns in Sicily, whatever might might be, it could be Palermo or a really small town no one's heard of. Right. It's like there weren't like clans like that. Whereas when you look through mafia history, they're constantly saying like, "Oh, he was a Castelmarese," yeah. right? Like they they that family was comprised of a lot of Castelmarese. Like that that was always curious to me. Like why was it so much different with that one place as opposed to the rest of the island? I think it was the the way they were raised, and you know, from day one, it was always the you know the greater good the group is more important the family mm. is more important than the individual right you're part of this family uh and what you do is uh, a reflection of that family and you're responsible for keeping that name up and i think they just had it indoctrinated from a day one that you know there was something bigger than self where in a lot of other places especially in america you know it's all about you know the individual and you know you know being able to make your own way and that's the american dream well um, in Sicily and specifically in Castellari, you know, they were, you know, it's, it's the family was more important, the, the, you know, the greater good. Yeah. That's a funny dichotomy there too. It is. Be- because you think about it, the idea of a family at least is a group. It's like a, it's a, it's the smallest, tightest community, but it's like a, it's a community. It's your blood. And then in America, it's like, oh, you're out for yourself to make money. But America, the idea was built on it's the land of the free of the American dream where we collectively are this great thing because we can trust in the system. Whereas in Sicily, this is an island that's been conquered a million fucking times. Right. They've had no competent government. They've had total corruption, killers in the government way before Mussolini and all that. So it's like it was ingrained in their bloodlines to not trust anything down to the mayor of the town. you know. But right. they went towards – like out of that, they went towards – the theme of like, all right, we'll pick the people you can trust. Whereas in America, the system's better, but people are more like, all right, what, what's in it for me? That's really interesting. Absolutely. I mean, he, because he saw that, the, back to that uh, comment I made about the difference between a father and a boss, where yeah. a boss, um, you know, they have a goal to produce whatever widget, right? To, to make something, to, to be, you know, have this monetary reward where the role of a father in a family is to make sure everybody's doing all right, to make sure everybody has what they need, you know, to be their best self, to, you know, to succeed where, you know, boss is only worried about what's best for the final, the end result, the bottom line where a father may make a decision that may not be beneficial financially, but it's, it benefits, you know, his son or, or one of his, Mm. or one of the people that he considers, uh, you know, part of his family. Uh, So it's not all based on, you know, what's going to help the bottom line. It's what's going to help this person like a father would do, right? A father, a good father anyway, you know, would be more concerned with, you know, making sure his child has what he needs as opposed to being able to make more money. Well, I would hope, you know, good fathers thought that way. Yeah. Yeah. That um, makes total sense. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a fine, you know, distinction between a boss and a father, but it's, it's pretty important and it was important to him. And, um, like I said, he didn't like being called boss. He wanted to be known as a father. Uh, mm. He saw himself more as a father figure than, you know, a boss. And you guys and, called him. I was just listening to how you said it. You called him grandfather. You didn't gra- call him no, like grandpa. grandpa. Yeah, we called him grandpa. Oh, you um, did call him grandpa. Yeah, and okay. uh, because they, you know, they had a different mentality. They wanted, like, they wanted us to become um, assimilated. They didn't want to. They didn't mm. speak Sicilian to us in the house because they didn't want us to have accents. They didn't want us to, you know, be thinking in Sicilian and, and then have to translate to, to mm. English. It was always English to us and. 
you know, they did not want, uh, not that they were ashamed of of being a Sicilian, but they thought it was very important that we got assimilated uh, into the, you know, as Americans as soon as we could. And, you know, he wanted the goal to be, he wanted his son to be a, you know, a lawyer and, you know, he didn't want his son to get involved. His son didn't get involved, but the next step was, you know, our generation and we, and none of us are, you know, in the game. Right. Uh, We're all, uh, professionals like you know, teachers, doctors, lawyers. Yeah, your brother's like um, a pediatrician, and he's right? a pediatrician, yeah. right? You know, and um, so that was you know, mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> took they, one extra generation. It that took worked right. Out. It didn't happen as fast as they wanted, but uh, it did happen, and um, I think he, he took a lot of pride in that. There's a lot to unpack there that I'm going to wait on because I want to I want to like lay out so that people can understand exactly how your grandfather's career went and then what led to like the book and all that. I think we could really unpack that later. But when he, to get back to like when his father died, even right before he came back to America, because you're bringing up this whole, he looked at himself as a father point. Is that, while Mussolini coming into power clearly was like the straw that broke the camel's back and made him say, all right, I'm getting out of the Naval Academy here and going over, we're going to figure this out. Like, did he, when, when, when your grandfather's father died, it sounds like he was obviously extremely close with him, but did he then kind of have that thing where he's a teenager and he's like, okay, well, I have to grow up immediately now and I need to take care of everyone. Like, was that just like he stepped into that mode? Not not initially. Uh, he was pretty young, uh, but he had some some uncles uh, from on his mother's side, uh, and his cousins, the Magadinos, that kind of took him in, and um, it was kind of thrust upon him. You know, he had to you know he had to step up because you know there was there were some problems in Sicily, if I yeah. remember right, uh, and it just you know. He had a he had a choice that he could have become you know like one of his uncles was in the seminary you know he could have studied to become a priest but um, mm-hmm. one of the other uncles had an issue and he stepped in and you know entered the life so to speak crazy how life yeah, like just, works like that you know it's like it could be that far like priest or like mobster right and that's <laughs> like that, far that far. was really uh, when it comes down to it that's that's kind of the choice he had so he comes over to America and he finds. Through the contacts he had established, he immediately gets in with some of his Castella Marese guys. And was he working for Maranzano right away, or did that eventually? Yeah, occur? It, it didn't happen right away. It, it happened eventually. You know, he ran into, like you said, some of his buddies uh, from Castella Mar, and they, you know, back then, you know, all the Sicilians had stills because they were making their own wine. This but, is like nineteen twenty in the twenty right, three twenty four exactly. Got it. And then, and then, yeah, then through that, um, he, you know, Maranzano came and, you know, he, they, whatever, latched onto each other. He really admired Maranzano and the way he was, the way he dressed, his mannerisms, the way he made decisions and, um, you know, learned a lot from him and Maranzano liked that and, you know, made, you know, made, you know, had him progress through the, through the system until, uh, when Maranzano ended up being murdered, uh, you know, my grandfather took over. Yeah, that's a whole story right that's there that we'll we'll talk that's about a in a sec. Thing. But when when he gets there in like twenty three, twenty four, even before he meets Maranzano, I would assume pretty much the whole focus of the business was just prohibition because like 
that's where the mob was spending all their resources. Well, on you know, business, I mean, he, right? he, he tried to become a dentist. Um, he had an uncle that really? was, yeah, I mean, not a dentist, a, a barber and a um, uh, and a baker. You know, one of his other uncles had a bakery, and he went in business. You know, he drove the truck, and you know, he he could, was going to do sales and help. You know, the the bakery, um, you know, grow. Uh, but he wasn't, you know, just wasn't cut out for that. And then, you know, when he met his buddies who were who had a still running, and they were, mm-hmm. you know, they were kind of living a, uh, you know, a more exciting life than you know, driving <laughs> a bakery truck. And he, he, you know, he got sucked in. And um, and yes, that was the. And then prohibition kind of, you know, was a gift yeah, for them. The, the way they saw, ever. Right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? They're gonna outlaw this stuff and. Uh, it worked out for him, absolutely. Yeah, there's a really underrated show that was phenomenal from a historical perspective, even though they fictionalized like, some of the main characters called Boardwalk Empire. Oh, yeah. You ever see that? Yeah. yeah. They, obviously, they had a lot of this era covered in that because that takes place during Prohibition, focused on Atlantic City, where they would that was a mm-hmm. popular place to, to smuggle in a lot of hooch. But like... You know, your grandfather was actually in it at the very end. I was and gonna say, yeah. the whole thing covered like the formation of the Italian American mafia as we know it. And it's like this was the most obvious thing ever. Like people aren't gonna give up drinking and someone's gonna it's it's like I, I can't even believe that was like an idea in Congress where they're thinking, This will this this is a good one. This nothing bad will happen here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what could go wrong? Uh, but yeah, he definitely saw it as a gift, and it was. I mean, it it uh, it was right up their alley, and they you know they created this whole market, this whole need, and they just you know filled that need. And where was he? Like, did you ever get some stories from him? Like, where he was, where he was running alcohol to, or what his role in a lot of that was while it was while prohibition was at its height? No, um, and it's not something he would have talked to his grandchildren about mm. uh he was very much when he did talk to us you know he he had a point he wanted to make there's a story there's a moral to the story that he wanted to tell so he would tell you know stories about the odyssey or or historical mm. things he wouldn't you know even you know if i would ask him you know it would you would get this look well you knew <laughs> we just knew intrinsically you don't ask those kind of questions right um, right. you know, it just, cause you wouldn't, you know, if you might get slapped and, and, at the very, you know, extreme, but you might just get ignored. They're like, you know, just, you don't ask questions. You know, you don't ask those kind of questions. And, um, I never did. Did uh, your dad ask those, those questions? I don't think he did. I think if, if, uh, my dad knew that, you know, it's, if he needed to know grandpa would tell him, <laughs> right. It, that's just the way it was. You didn't, um, you know, you didn't ask questions because they took you know, took offense to it. You know, even if the phone rings and you pick up the phone, you never said, "Well, who is it?" You just you just taught that the, at a young age, just, I right? Guess, you, right? Just, you just knew you don't you don't ask you know questions like you know when my dad came home late, you know my mom would never say, "Well, where you been?" You know, mm. <laughs> that's just not that's not, that's not how it worked. You know. That's just it's it's a cultural thing. Right. It's like it's just it's got to be ingrained in. Right. And I, you know, when I was first married, I had a real hard time with, um, you know, even you know telling my wife where I was going because I felt like that was a violation. Because you know, right? I don't have to, you know, you don't tell me, ask me where I've been, you don't, and I don't tell you where I'm going. <laughs> um, and it was it was kind of a hard adjustment to you know to say because that's what was modeled for me, right? Mom didn't ask, <laughs> um, and of course that's my normal, right? That's what yeah. I knew. And then you know when I got married, it was uh, it was this 
source of difficulty. It's a passed down thing for sure because it makes Mm -hmm. sense considering that the way we think in America of like the wild, wild west Mm -hmm. back in the 1800s and stuff, that's really – it's not a far cry from how Sicily was and actually in some ways continues to be. be, You know, it's it's really – I can imagine that when, you know, you look at different, say, smaller ethnic groups around the world who – there's just a thing that's built in, like especially they've been persecuted. You look like the Jewish people or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it's unspoken. They just get it. Like we got to look out for each other because people tried to kill us not that long ago. Right. And when you're in Sicily, it's like we got to look out for each other because we're always getting conquered. Right. So you don't tell anyone nothing. Yeah. We don't care who's in charge because we're going to do our same thing because we know they're going to come and go and we're going to be here. That's so. it. And this guy Maranzano, for people who haven't heard of him, as we said, he was a Castelmarese. But he he was a little crazy, but he actually was – he was one of the other guys who was really intelligent. Like he was like oh, yeah, your grandfather. Man, and, absolutely. Right, like Renaissance type guy. So your grandfather really took a liking to him through that. And then it sounds like he was – based on your grandfather's telling of it, he was pretty quickly like kind of his right hand, no? Yeah, he, he – came up through the ranks pretty quickly and you know he was singled out as you know somebody that uh you know understood maranzano and and then you know he admired him so much i think that that definitely helped um you know helped his uh his rise in the in the organization and so you had mentioned maranzano was murdered this was like a whole this is right towards the end of prohibition like 1931 i think in that time frame yeah right so the broad strokes of what was happening is you had the American side, as your grandfather would call it, like the Lucky Lucianos right. of the world. Americanized, yeah. They didn't like Maranzano and like Paul Masseria and those old school guys, right? Well, yeah, and and Masseria was more on the, uh, you know, the the Americanized side where, and, and I think the delineation is that those who, you know, put money for making money first, as opposed to you know those who wanted to keep the structure of the family. Um, as as the main goal, and I think that was the difference. The old school guys wanted to keep the old traditions, where you know the Masria and then you know his you know the people that took over for him, you know they wanted to you know make money. It was it was definitely the business, and you know what they you know like I said, it goes back to that whole discussion between the, what's a father and right. a boss, and what that difference is. Did those like you think about the? The scenes that are painted in like Godfather Two, especially in both in, in both of the first two movies, but especially Godfather Two, where you see like young Vito Corleone, there's the element where he becomes the don of the neighborhood, right? right. So people end up coming to him, they ask you know for a favor, or someone had something horrible happen to them, and they don't want to go to the police because they don't trust them, and they go to this guy who they trust, even though he's like the head of the criminal organization. It's like, well, no, he's the head of our neighborhood. The guys like Luciano, though, did they really have that, or was that more like on your grandfather's end? Like he viewed it, he and Maranzano viewed things like, oh, we got to do that too. Well, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, yeah, that's exactly it, right? The, the, my grandfather was more of in the family and in the traditional um, structure of things, where guys like Luciano and and all those that followed in you know the eighties and nineties and up to today were you know more about just making money. Yeah, you know, and not caring about uh, you know the structure and and following the code is just it was like the ends. Well, we're making money, so it's okay. Well, 
even if my grandfather was making good money at something, if it wasn't following his code, you know, they just, he just wouldn't do it. And again, we're, we're going to define that code yeah. as we go along so, here for people listening. They're yeah. like, like, wait, what code? But anyway. it was, he literally wrote about it in a book called man of honor. But the, the Maranzano thing, they had first, it happened twice technically because the guy we mentioned, Joe Masseria, they killed him. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess lucky worked for him and Frank Costello. Right. They got rid of him. They made a deal with Maranzano, like, okay, we're with you now. But then very quickly they thought Maranzano thought he was like Julius fucking Caesar or something. Exactly. And so they're like, well, he's got to go. But they didn't tell your grandfather that they were going to hit him. Right. No, they, yeah, because he, you know, he was too close to him, right? If he had known, he would have been honor-bound to do something about it. Right. So, um, and right, he really didn't, you know, get with or meet. I think he probably met Lucky before that, but didn't have dealings with him until after Maranzano died. And that's when, you know, they had to come together because they were basically the bosses of two fam- two of the main families. And that's the question I have here because your grandfather was a really young man. He was like 25 20, or yeah. 26. He, right. he had started young with all this. So once they kill Maranzano, well, he can't prevent it now, honor bound to prevent it because it's over, obviously. He's right. dead. It happened. But he he meets with Luciano and they make peace. Right. What, did he not think like, oh, I need to avenge that according to his code or, or he put that aside? Well, what was the logic? The logic was that, you know, he had, he had heard um, stories about that Maranzano was trying to, you know, had a hit out or a contract out on uh, Lucky and some of mm. the other guys, right? So they were just, you know, basically self-defense. And he believed that story. Right, Maranzano didn't tell him he was going after you know Lucky ahead of time, but when you know he did his due diligence and looked into it and was satisfied that you know he was acting out of you know his self preservation, he was you know he wasn't going to go after Maranzano until Maranzano started coming after mm-hmm. him, and then you know he got to him first. So yeah, that's interesting because I, I actually buy that too. Um, I'll bet that probably was the case because they they never according to pretty much any research on it they really never got along even when like lucky and maranzano and stuff like even when they hit masseria and kind of vacuum powered the thing like they still never got right yeah that's that's the sense i got too from what i know but you know just from reading different things so. so your grandfather and this is why it's like so crazy that he he lived so long and then what ended up happening with him in retirement and all that and like having a lot of years outside of it afterwards, like his whole story from immigrant all the way through it, the the perhaps the craziest part of it is he was alive 40 years after and 30, 40 years after all these other guys who were there when they formed this thing because when Maranzano gets hit, now Luciano clearly is like the dog around right. here, and they form what's known as the commission. And so for people listening who aren't familiar with the mafia, can you explain what that is? Well, the commission was, you know, the five families, the the five families coming together and having, instead of having a boss of bosses, because Maranzano considered himself, I think he was the last one to officially use the title of boss of bosses. Well, they wanted to replace that one guy with a you know with a group with the heads of the five families and that was what it was intended for was to keep the peace between you know the families and they decided it would be best if they cooperated because if they kept fighting each other no one was going to make money so right. you know 
Luciano, my grandfather, got together and, you know, they decided that they would make this, you know, commission to, you know, avoid having one guy that can call the shots for everybody. Was that the meeting? Was was that like the big meeting to say like, all right, we're going to call a meeting to do this now with everybody where it was just your grandfather who was from the Maranzano faction meeting with the guy who had just vacuum power luciano it's pretty much the two of that's them. the way i understand it that's that was the genesis of it yeah wow that's crazy <laughs> that's historically amazing right that's nuts so then, what they accomplished over the next 30 40 years yeah yeah it's absolutely i mean they they rose to power and they you know they had influence in world war ii and you know they we'll they, talk about that right for sure. yeah, so um yeah it was pretty incredible so they then have a meeting where you know, the five families, most people know, it's they're based in New York. They operate, they technically have operations in other places like Jersey and Florida and eventually even Vegas and stuff like that as well. But the commission, they did allow, I think right away, the only other faction that was allowed, I might be wrong about this, but the only other faction outside the five New York families that was allowed on there was the Chicago outfit. And then eventually, I don't know when, but yeah. eventually they gave Philadelphia a seat. They yeah, gave first, well, first, it, first it was uh, Buffalo. Uh, Magadino right. was my grandfather's cousin, right? Um, so he was he was also part of that the Buffalo family, even though it was a small town. It was very influential, and in, you know the whole path between Canada and you know all the stuff they did with alcohol and cigarettes with Canada. So Buffalo was really important, but it was Buffalo was the next one, and then yeah, then Chicago. Philadelphia and Detroit. Got it. Okay. So eventually it all expanded. And then, and then right. At first it was just pretty much New York and Chicago and mm-hmm. Buffalo in this case. Right. So they're, the way they would do it is these – the heads of each of those family – of those families would be the ones who meet to discuss – like a board meeting. Like discuss what's going on with crime, who's got what, you know, make peace and continue to be able to operate so everyone makes money. Right. Uh, you know, and – Mostly it was, from my understanding, was it was to settle any sort of disputes, right? They would come together uh, when there was something that was, you know, a major issue and, you know, people were about to go to war. Well, let's go and, you know, sit around a table Mm. and see if we can't, you know, figure this out. Let, you know, cooler heads prevail. So, you know, when you got a lot of these hotheads and, um, you know, guys that feel disrespected, yeah, they want to, they just want to go after it. But there was a way, you know, and they made this structure so they can resolve those issues without having to kill each other and constantly going to war and costing everybody money and nobody's making any money. If you're paying for a war, it's, it's tough on everybody. And, you know, they were able to keep that peace for a long time because they had that, you know, way to resolve the issues, Mm. right? They had the, you know, the, the Don's, the fathers could get together and make a decision and then it was binding and they all, you know, they all bought in on that. And, you know, it, it, uh, it put the organization into organized crime. Yeah, it's really like, and that's what the you know the case was about in the eighties, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, and that's like that's kind of the full circle where it it went bad because the government caught up in like how to actually get to the top with Rico and all that. But right. it's such a long time later. Like they, you know, from the thirties because they formed the commission in like nineteen thirty one ish. From the thirties through when your grandfather went out to Arizona, I mean, they operated carte blanche pretty much and yeah it was that structure of of having the commission pull that mic in just a little bit yeah i mean having the commission and having that structure you know like i said gave them a way to settle disputes 
And when you weren't, you know, when their bodies weren't piling up on the streets, they were making money. You know, every, when everybody was, you know, happy uh, and getting along, thing business was better. But they and, also had, I mean, they formed stuff like Murder Inc. Still, right? Right. Things happened within the families, right? So the commission had couldn't tell the Bonanno family or the Colombo family what they could do within their family. There was no, yeah, they didn't, they didn't, that was part of the, you know, the commission. Hey, what happens in here? <laughs> we only talk about things that, you know, where our, our worlds intersect, but in, within your family, whatever you guys want to do. Yeah. They, you know, no, none of the bosses were going to agree to, you know, have them get in at that micro level. They were, this was a, a macro thing for the, the disputes between the families and the turf wars. And mm. um, if they're going after the same things, they, you know, they found a way to split it. How, how did they, I don't know if I've ever really properly researched this question. So this might be a good one to ask, but when you think about the mafia, everyone can start to name like the main businesses, right? So they can be like, okay, gambling, prostitution. Eventually there were some drugs as well, right. like extortion, loan sharking, yada, yada. But, you know, for example, you have five families all operating across the different boroughs in New York in right. other states where they're in similar neighborhoods and whatever. Like how did they decide, say, at the beginning – Okay, well, within gambling, you're going to do this thing, and that family's going to do that thing, and that family's going to well, do that yeah, thing. I think it was they all did whatever they could do within their own families, whatever uh, you know was available, whether it was you know numbers or like you said, you know, and my like my grandfather didn't you know he didn't believe in prostitution, so the Bonanno family wasn't wasn't in into prostitution, mm. and he wasn't into extortion just you know just for protection. It was when people you know. People didn't pay him back. Yeah, they went out. You know, if you borrowed money and you didn't pay it back, yeah, then you, you know you had to pay the results. But he never just they never just leaned the Bonanno family and never just leaned on people just oh, because they could. Where and he was he was not happy that he knew that went on with the other families where they would just lean on people because they could. Um, he never felt that was that was right, and he never participated. So they didn't do going, that. Not the Bonanno family. That's yeah, he interesting. Takes, he, yeah, he makes in. Once again, in his book, he he talks a lot about how he doesn't, he never, you know, extortion just for extortion is wrong because violence, the only justification for violence in his mind was to um, restore order. Mm. So um, when things were orderly and going along, yeah, violence, there was no need for violence just, you know, to collect an extra hundred bucks or whatever from somebody. See, he didn't feel that was, you know, within his code. That is very interesting to me because, you know, I kind of treat – when you're looking at like the mob and organized crime, the guys in it, they know what they signed up for. Right. You know, they're in that world. Like I don't – you know, when someone kills someone, it's a bad thing. I, mean, I don't right. mishear me here. But yes, there is a difference to me looking at a mobster who whacked another mobster – versus some dude who killed his wife that's right. there's no compa you know what i mean like the, well, those I, are my dad had a great line for that he used to say nobody in the mob who ever got hit didn't know it was coming mm. meaning you know if you you knew the rules and if you broke the rules you knew the results of that you know of that violation it was not a mystery it was not nobody was ever surprised by it right, right? any of those guys that got hit they knew they did something to somebody <laughs> That caused that. It just didn't, you know, they didn't just randomly hit anybody. It was, and, you know, like you said, it wasn't wives, it wasn't children, it wasn't anybody else. 
it was the guy who, you know, the perpetrator. Right. He broke the code. He knew the price, and the price was paid. And when that when that line has been crossed, you know, in the mafia with people who aren't involved or people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time, that's where it gets scummy. And, like, that's why it's interesting that you say that he was adamantly against the extortion. Because I've always thought, especially when I've, I've never been around it, but I know people who have fallen victim to it, say up in, in North Jersey and New York, it's like – the, one of the worst things they do to this day is when someone just has a business, right? Like they literally just have a business somewhere and they got an Italian last name and these guys walk in and say, you owe us 30% or we're going to break your legs or kill you, right? Like that, that's the extortion I'm talking about. So your grandfather wasn't about that. Right. He, he, that was not part of his code and that's not something he ever uh, endorsed uh, or, you know, didn't proliferate within his family, within his family when he was in charge. Now what happened Anything that happened with the Bonanno family, you know, in the seventies and eighties, yeah, it's different. It kept the name, yeah. but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, you know, calling the shots. So, um, you know, hence the French connection and all the narcotics. Right. And that's, you know, yes, the Bonanno crime family. And uh, Dad had another good way to delineate that when he talked about <laughs> the Bonanno family with a capital F. You know, he meant the, you know, the crime family. Mm. And when he talked about Bonanno with family with a lowercase F, he was talking about, you know, his his guys and our cousins and you know our relatives you know the people that were not necessarily the nuclear fam the nuclear family but just the the guys the made guys the guys that he um knew and and you know whatever the guys he made yeah you know? yeah now like culturally though too cuz that's like part of the mystique of the Italian American mafia is that it is Italian-American like you got to be with very few exceptions it's like you got to be full blood and for a while there it was like you literally got to be from Sicily uh, right. eventually that changed a little bit you could just be from like you could be Neapolitan something like that but you know a big difference between Lucky and your grandfather again like the Italian versus American side of it right. is that Lucky Growing up in New York, even though he lived in an Italian neighborhood, he grew up with a lot of guys who were Jewish and Irish. Some of his best friends, like Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, these were Jewish gangsters. And so even though he wasn't like, oh, we're going to induct these guys into the family, he's like, well, they're our partners. Right. Versus a guy like your grandfather was like, no, 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 we only deal with our own kind. Right. So did he eventually like change his mind on that a little bit or was that pretty much consistently like oh, no, no we're, yeah. we're only going to work with yeah with the he, yeah he only yeah he was you know because he stuck to his code and his you know he only felt that the only people who can understand you know his code were you know fellow sicilians you know um and he even had you know problem with you know italians from you know naples and mm. you know um calabria he always felt that they were they were them and they're not us so did he get along with frank costello he did because yeah. Costello was wasn't he Calabrian? Yeah, yeah. So they they were okay though. Yeah, that was a different family, of course. Yeah. So um, and once again, what happens in the other families? You know, he yeah. You know, mm. So he had, he had a clear he, right. He viewed it sounds like he viewed the commission as like okay, this is good for business, you know, so that we keep the peace. And other than that, you do your shit. Right. You do what you do, and and we'll you know we'll do you know the Sicilians will do what you know, we do and live by our code. Um, and he took a lot of pride in that. And, you know, there was a lot of animosity as a result of that. Cause the old school ways were, you know, going by the wayside, you know, in, in, in America, you know, things were going in, especially the forties and the fifties. 
Um, and he was trying to stick to those old or ways. And, you know, a lot of the guys didn't understand it, right. They'd been, they weren't in Sicily. They didn't understand the, mm-hmm. the need to, you know, the strict adherence to the code, um, where he never, yeah, he never relented on that. Well, when the commission would go to approve things in the efforts of keeping the peace, for example, which did involve in certain cases, certain guys had to go, obviously, right. you know, I had mentioned it before, but they they did use things like Murder, Inc. So people who were involved in this were not necessarily Italian. There were a lot of guys who were Jewish and Irish gangsters involved with that. So when it came to business that he is technically a part of, where he's got to give an okay on stuff, he he didn't have a problem with that. He was just like, okay, it's not Italians doing it, no problem. No, I mean, once again, it goes back to the individual families, and the father of that individual family um, could do you know, what he felt he had to do as long as it wasn't impacting, you know, any of the Bonanno mm-hmm. interests or business, you know, he didn't, he felt he didn't have a say. He might've had an opinion, but he wasn't going to speak that opinion or he wasn't going to, you know, inhibit any other, you know, father from doing what he thought was best. Cause he wouldn't definitely not tolerate some other father coming in right. and questioning him. Now, if there was an issue where they were both going after the same thing or, you know, their their interests, you know, clashed, then, yeah, you needed the commission to resolve those. And that's what it was for. Okay. So he, even on that, he kind of yep. had – that was just a cost of doing business. Got it. Right. So when, when Prohibition ended in 1932 or 33, somewhere right in there, they already obviously did have other rackets. Like they had gambling. Right. They had things like that. You said your grandfather stayed away from prostitution and drugs, yeah. which again, you pointed out, but it is ironic because right after he left, the Bananos were like the main drug dealing right. family I mean, of them all. Right. Mm-hmm. Crazy. But he stayed away from that stuff. How much like in the 30s, you know, not necessarily like what was the size of the family, but how much was business like? Badly impacted by the fact that they were no longer moving alcohol at you know two thousand percent markups every week. Well, I think you know the, the taxes on the cigarettes were a big thing, mm-hmm. and that was always a you know um, a good source of revenue because they would get you know the the ta- the cigarettes from Canada that didn't have the tax seal on them, and they were they were able to make a lot of money. How does know. that work? Can you explain that? Don't really understand exactly how it worked, <laughs> but I know, right, all the American cigarettes had, you know, ex- even back in the day, there was always the high taxes on cigarettes. And then if you can get them from Canada, they didn't have that. There's a stamp apparently on the bottom of packs of cigarettes. And that was the only difference. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have to any of the, the taxes. So they would bring tobacco, you know, cigarettes from down from Canada into New York. Stamp it. And no, they wouldn't. They just, you know, they wouldn't pay the taxes and they wouldn't, they wouldn't collect taxes. So right. okay. um, whatever the tax was, you know, the eight or 10%, that's what they were making. Uh, on it's the like cigarette. a built-in markup, you're right. saying. Built-in markup. Got and it. they made a lot of money with that. And then, you know, with the garment district, um, you know, they, they controlled basically the, you know, the clothing industry. Uh, mm. And they had a lot of, uh, you know, people working for them. Um and they kept, you know, the contracts coming in and they were able to get, you know, that's where, you know, their connections and, you know, their, maybe their force, but they were able to, uh, to get a lot of those contracts. You know, they were making boots and, you know, like during World War II, boots and jackets and, you know, they were, all those contracts were going to their, you know, their people in the garment district. And they also had the unions. So they had like the docks and stuff. So like on imports, they knew when stuff was coming in, they wanted to hit certain things or put a tax on certain things. Right. 
they could do all that, right? Okay. And it, it's crazy. I, I've said this before in some other podcasts, just talk with people. But every time I drive down 78 coming into New York City, where you're on that strip in Jersey City where you can just see the whole skyline, mm-hmm. never gets old to me. I yeah. love it. I love looking at it. It's just like this crazy thing that humans created going up into the sky here. I can't help, though, but think, looking at every single one of those buildings, I, I think to myself, I'm like, almost none of those went up without the okay and economic interests of the mafia. In some ways, yeah, some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it is pretty incredible I, when you look at it that way. It's like all the cement down there or like the zoning contracts. They These were companies that they had a take on or – you know, we're literally – sometimes they were like the president of the company itself or like the union that the company used for the workers. And like, you know, for better or worse, that is – that's a part of history. Like they did that. Right. And a lot of this ha- happened to happen in the wake of the Great Depression afterwards when they were trying to create jobs, put up buildings. And you just had this boom of all these amazing buildings built for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And it's like they're they're in the middle of all of it there. Absolutely. And so they get through the 30s, though, and you've alluded to it a few times, but I think this is a great story. World War II, people don't realize that the mafia had a significant helping factor with the Allied invasion of Sicily, Absolutely. which is how we entered Europe. Right. So can you explain like what the, what the history was there? Well, in short, I had you know, a little bit of in, you know, knowledge of it, not, not the, you know, the details – um, but, but in short, they, when they were going to go to Sicily, the, you know, the Americans were smart enough to say, Hey, we have all these Sicilians, uh, in New York that are Americans that, you know, that, uh, have some pride. Um, maybe they'll, you know, they'll help us. And they were more than willing to do their part because they loved America for sure. I mean, <laughs> it was a land of opportunity for them. Like, like we were talking about earlier with the prohibition, it was a gift. Yeah. Right. So they were very proud to be, you know, my grandfather was a naturalized citizen and they were very proud to be Americans and they wanted to help me you on know, the war effort any way they could. And and once again, they were presented with this opportunity uh, where they could help the, you know, the invading forces. And it worked. Um, you know, they went right through Sicily and right up through Italy. And, um, you know, they told the people, you know, in Sicily, mm. hey, we need your help. And they did. You know, they all fell in line and, you know, because they didn't want, you know, Mussolini or you know, Hitler or the you know the fascists taking over they wanted their freedom as you know as well and they admired America so it was a natural um thing for them to all team up and and make that work yeah the one urban legend of that story that a lot of historians shoot down but they're also kind of incentivized to shoot it down cuz it's like you don't want to admit that like oh the mafia helped us right but the one that I'm kind of on the fence about that. I feel like might have been a bridge too far. Was when they talk about how Lucky Luciano arranged for them to do a flyover, and they dropped like little leaflets into the towns, saying like "We're coming," and letting like Don Carlo Vizzini and like some of the bosses there like know that way that right. the, that the forces were coming, and they'd help them get across the island. I don't know about that one, but they did have. I mean. You know, they were able to get through that Operation Mincemeat thing, which was a movie that actually was just made uh, with the whole British intelligence operation that tricked the Germans into thinking that they were going to invade Greece and not Sicily. Mm. They did get some of the 
the Nazi soldiers off the island before they came, which helped. But once they landed, the guys like Calavizzini and the different bosses across the island who had strong ties to America, th- it wasn't the mayors meeting the, the troops. Right. It, was it was the, the bosses right. going, come with us. And they're like exactly. in the tanks, like leading the way through. That's pretty fucking wild. Absolutely. Yeah. It was definitely a source of pride for them. You know, they felt like they, you know, they swung the, they swung the, the pendulum in the Americans' favor, you know, through that. And they, they always took a lot of pride in that. You know? Yeah. And they, it's, it's like one of the many things where the mafia is ingrained with like American history with stuff. You could talk about the buildings. You could talk about that. You could talk about Kennedy, which we'll get to. It's like they're in the middle of all of this. So it's kind of like the government, you have the FBI and, and the police say like chasing these guys because they view them as street criminals. But then like the government's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But also they have access. So we're, we're going to work with them. We're gonna, right. Well. It's nuts. I don't know. But after World War II, this is all part of that like Pax Bonanno era. So your grandfather's just completely in power at top of his game, I guess you could say. Did it all start to, I don't want to say fall apart, but like go the wrong way with the Appalachian meeting in 57? Like, is that how he looked at it? Well, I mean, he he was in uh, Italy. He went to Sicily um, while all that, you know, came together. And, mm. and he said, had he been there, he would have not... Um, you know that wouldn't have happened because they had a you know a national meeting the year before they didn't need another meeting um and it got called because he was away and that's the only reason you know it got there and he you know he didn't want to go he thought it was a bad idea and it was you know it ended up being an awful idea as we know um but yeah he didn't he he wouldn't have allowed that to take place if had he been he been in you know in New York at the time when all that was coming together, but he was in Sicily and um, you know kind of enjoying you know his success. A mm. bit. Why did they have like? Because it's a commission meeting, and as you said, they had done it the year before. For people that don't, that don't know, this was 1957, a town up in northern New York yeah. in the in the hills, and they accidentally got sighted because there were like. Thousands of a time, not thousands, hundreds right, but all of these a, big Cadillacs right. and you know cars rolling through this little town in upstate New York. Right. Yeah, it, it it drew a little attention. So yeah. the cops like descended upon it and they're like, "Holy shit, this right. is the motherload!" Why was this meeting like? It wasn't just the bosses; they had all kinds Everybody, of foot right. soldiers. Like, right. why would they do that at all, ever? Yeah, it was just you know, it was somebody's. Um, Pride, basically. Uh, Grandpa was away, and you know Stefano Magadino. They wanted to have this, you know, show their their prominence and have this meeting and have everybody come. Um, and it was just basically a you know flexing, I guess is the word they would use now. Um, you know, his cousin Stefano and and their faction in the commission were, you know, kind of showing that well Joe's away. You know, we're in charge now, mm-hmm. um, and it just all went to. Wasn't good. Wasn't good. So your grandfather comes home after that, and now there's heat because this is like when the first hearings started happening after that, where, where TV is a thing now in black and white, and right. they're hauling some of these guys to Congress. I think they had, I think they literally had Frank Costello there for some of the early ones. He was like, I guess the the boss of the fa- of what used to be Lucky's family at that point, and he's sitting in front of Congress on TV. Going, I played the fifth. 
right. and you have all these um, these normal American citizens like, what the fuck, fuck is that? What's right. going on here? <laughs> you know, it puts right. all the heat on them. And then there was another guy, Joe Balacci. That's it. Yeah. So what I was mean, his story? And he, well, he was just a low level, you know, guy that you know during you know they were at war. You know, all the source of all the commotion was you know the crazy Joe Gallo and um, trying to kill. The Profaci, you know, the head of the Profaci family, um, and then you know, within then they got Colombo, and uh, it just they went to war and they started letting people in, uh, you know, that weren't Sicilian, you know, they kind of you know, they needed soldiers, so their their requirements, you know, lowered, and a guy like Valachi got in, and he was never, you know, never met my grandfather, he never, you know, he wasn't a he was a low level soldier. And in what family? I think it was Genovese family. I really don't okay. re- recall exactly, but I think it was it yeah the Genovese family. Um, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't really a higher guy, and he got a lot of things wrong in his testimony. He just, you know, wanted to be in the spotlight, and you know, said some things that were, you know, he gave a lot of the secrets away for sure. You know, not really. It was the American public, they didn't know about this stuff until Valachi came out and kind of laid it out for him and showed him how, you know, that there was a structure and this was a real, you know, a real thing and it's real something you should be concerned with. Yeah, I'm, I'm put while you're talking, I'm pulling this up to see if there's like something quick we could show, but all the videos are kind of long on yeah. YouTube, but people can look it up. You can type in V A L A C H I and you'll see like, the video of him speaking at Congress and he was like, like going through how the making ceremony works and all that. So this was out for the public to see. And that was really what it was. That was something he did get right. That, yeah, that, you know, there were, you know, there were some parts that were right, but there were a lot of key stuff and that was, that was wrong. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. My grandfather talks about it in his book and just kind of dismisses it as this, you know, they believed whatever this guy said and he wasn't really, he didn't really have a whole lot of knowledge. He knew some, and but that was the first time the public really got a glimpse into the, the structure of it. And and so now there's there's some legitimate worry about order of business because it's like, well, now we have heat. Now there's awareness. It's not just like the people in the neighborhoods that we operate in who know. There's people who are aware that there's something going on here. So even if the government had no ability to really get to the top of the structure at the time, which they didn't, because you have a, you know, you have a boss and you have layers to it, right. so you can't really, if some low-level soldier kills a guy, you can't technically tie it back to the boss at the time. So that wasn't a threat yet, but now it's like the eyeballs are on us. Right. So ironically, this is all happening when a former major bootlegger of the Irish American faction happens to have his eyes on a son of his becoming president. Right. And that was Joseph Kennedy. So uh, before we get into John F. Kennedy, how, how well did your grandfather know Joseph Kennedy? You know, his they, father. They did business together um, in the bootlegging you know, times. And my grandfather didn't like him uh, because he apparently – had the reputation if if one of his boats he would they were smuggling immigrants and they were smuggling you know alcohol or whiskey mm. and if they were getting chased and they needed to you know lighten the load they would throw the people overboard the immigrants overboard before the alcohol and my grandfather just you know hated basically Joe Kennedy because of that um, what kind, like where were the immigrants coming from 
Yeah, wherever. I mean, they were, you know, just wherever, wherever, but they were slowing down the boats and they would just kick the people off before, you know, you would think, you know, a normal person would throw the alcohol over and save the people, but Joe King, you know, that just spoke to his character. So he liked to tell that story. Um, oh my God. And that, so he never liked uh, Joe Kenny because he, he thought he was a man of low character. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty low character right well, there. Right, yeah. Just like dumping people. And- Instead, right. And, uh, you know, apparently he was ruthless and, you know, Holy he didn't. Shit. He didn't like. I mean, he once again he did business with them because you know they had you know mutual interests, uh, but he didn't like him personally. He didn't like his character. Wow. So, but either way, Joe was ingrained with all the different families from those years. Like he knew all the guys. Oh, right. I mean, they were basically you know did in the same business except for you know they had the rights to all the you know the Irish whiskey and you know and the scotch from you know. Is that usually from Canada when they were doing it at the time? Prohibition? Uh, right. Okay. Bringing in, yeah, this, the whiskey and stuff from Ireland, yeah, went to Canada and then down in the right. United States through the Hudson River Valley. And, you know, that's why there's all kinds of scenes and Italians all, all up through there. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So your grandfather didn't like him, but either way, through Joe's Connects, he goes to the mob and says, my son would like to be president. How do we make that happen? So what what did they do to get – I feel like a lot of people don't know this history and they should. What did they do to get Kennedy into office? Well, of course, you know, the, the mob had a lot of influence in, in a lot of the unions, specifically, you know, the Teamsters Union with Hoffa. And, um, you know, they basically said, hey, we want to get this guy in. And, you know, they went to their membership and, you know, the membership basically helped helped him get elected. Mm. Um, and they felt that they were, you know, they were, they were key. They being, you know, my grandfather and the mafia felt like, you know, they did, they did the right thing. They helped him get elected. And in exchange, I guess the understanding was that they would, you know, kind of look the other way or, um, you know, there would be some, some upside for them helping to get the Kennedys into office. It would take some of that public heat they're seeing with Valachi. Right. Off. off. That was, that was, that was in theory, but you know, as we know, you know, especially Robert and John, you know, they they went after the mob, right? They yeah. felt like that was one of the biggest scourges in the country at the time, and they were going to put an end to it. Um, knowing what their father did, who knows if they really knew, um, you know, what the father I, I have to think they did. They um, had to know. Right. You had to know, but I don't think, you know, we, we will never know for sure. Because um, he didn't win that election. He didn't well, like they like between you said, right. You yeah. mentioned the unions hundred percent. And then the other thing is, like if you if people go look at the map, I guess like the electoral map of nineteen sixty of, of Kennedy Nixon, he won by razor thin margins in um in in Illinois and Texas in particularly. And like there was the known fact that like the mob was having dead people vote in Chicago right. and in the Dallas and stuff thing, like right. that. And they put him into office, and then, like you said, they make he makes his younger brother the AG. And I mean, Bobby Kennedy took this Valachi thing and made that look like a Swedish massage. I right. mean, he he put all these guys in front of the camera. So you know, yeah. it, it was it was nuts. And and so the big conspiracy that everyone always thinks about, because clearly there was shit done, is you know Kennedy getting murdered in Dallas in, in November '63, and I've been comfortable with it for a long time with the fact that 
the mafia was involved in that. Right. But how much did, I assume you never talked about that with your grandfather, but like I don't know if you talked with your dad about it. Like how much information did did you ever get on that growing up? Yeah, I mean the story my the line my dad used all the time was um it's not a question of of whether there was a second gun, it's who has it now. Um <laughs> And he, he had claimed that when he was in, uh, he was doing time in Terminal Island um, and the shooter, you know, I don't, I don't recall the name. I wish I would have remembered, you know, the name the guy told me. Um, my dad did say that when he was telling me the story, he told me the guy's name. I just don't remember it. But, you know, he claimed that this guy um, said, yeah, he was in, you know, in the grate, under the grassy knoll, took his shots, walked out, got into a car and took off. Um, so... You know, yeah, it's hearsay. I've heard, you know, heard a, a guy told my dad this, but I had no reason to to not believe my dad, and I don't think my dad would have any reason to, you know, make up a story. Um, yeah, no, I bet he's not what, making it up. But, but I mean, that's what he believed. I'm, I'm. What I'm trying to say is, I'm confident that's my dad believed that's what happened, and and I tend to believe that my dad was telling me, you know, he believed that for a reason, and he had, you know, some inside information. Um, so I believe that's what, you know, that's the way it went down. I know in high school we did this whole thing about, you know, the lone gunman theory and trying to, you know, figure out how they could make that many shots in that small of an area in that amount of time. Not and it was possible. just right, just the physics alone, you know, there has there had to be something else and you know, there. Yeah, yeah. there was something else. So, um, you know, we will never know the truth, uh, you know, right? But um that's that's the story that I was told. Devil's advocate, even if the guy telling that to your dad was full of shit and just looking for attention either way the evidence around it to show the involvement of to name a few names here the mafia for sure cuban elements and at least some members of the cia in the middle of that is i mean i use the word irrefutable between, I, I mean, just starting with Jack Ruby alone, who was a, a known associate, you know, the whole bit, like, oh, why is he there to make him right. shut up? You know, and the guy and, had yeah. cancer, too. It was like he was on his way out. Right. It was too perfect right. how they did this. So it's not a matter of, like, to me, did they? It's a matter of, well, all right, maybe it was maybe that guy was telling the truth. Maybe yeah. he told your dad the right story, and he was down there, or his friend was down there, and he took credit. But there was someone down there, and I'll bet they were – it wouldn't have been, to me – it wouldn't have been someone that they could have tied in any sort of like governmental or official capacity way to the CIA. It would have had to be some sort of criminal element in the same way that like Lee Harvey Oswald was like a communist sympathizer or something right. like that. You know, like they'd have to make that tie up. So it would only make sense to me that the likely outcome was that the shooter was either a Cuban or someone from the mafia. Right. Period. I mean, it's just easier to believe i mean it seemed like a hit right it didn't you know it, it didn't seem like some lone nut just decided to take some pot shots at the president no there's definitely seemed like that was a that was a hit somebody double crossed and there's the story there's where the double cross happened uh and that was the price you paid um and going back to my you know previous comment nobody who ever got whacked by the mafia didn't know it was coming so mm. um i would put that in that category because they had to know bobby and and jfk that when they decided to go against the mafia that uh they were not just gonna let it happen i mean that wasn't the it's not the nature of that beast i'll bet they did it you're right so (laughs) like knowing what we know you're right but i'll bet they didn't because they're 
they were so separated from reality. Right. Especially yeah, they like, were Kennedys. Yeah, yeah they're Kennedys. <laughs> they're the fucking president, president and the AG. They're like, they're no way. They can't the touch us. Right. You know? But, and they kind of, and they didn't do it alone. Like in their, I guess, like defense. Like this right. wasn't like just the mafia, like, all right, whack them. It's like, all right, we're dealing with so and so at the yeah. CIA or whatever. Okay. Right. There was we'll a lot this. of interests that were, you know, satisfied you know they didn't shed a tear when he when he got shot so yeah that's a wild part of history and there's a reason you know everyone wants them to release those documents mm -hmm. and like selfishly like yeah i want that too but if those documents show what we know it's going to show which is that there were some people involved with the government even if they didn't even if they were rogue right they're involved with the government, the government right who were involved that's gonna destroy even though it's 60 years ago Right. Like the CIA is going to, they're going to have riots outside that place. Like they can't, you know what I mean? Like right. they can't let, they can't let that information out. They, they need to leave out that 0.01% chance because <laughs> once it becomes a hundred, they're fucked. Right. Absolutely. But it's just crazy that the mafia was in the middle. And, and I think like, I might be remembering this wrong, but like Kennedy, who was a coos hound, he was also... Wasn't he like with Phyllis McGuire or something? And then Sam Gian—I I might be remembering this wrong—but like right. Sam Giancana, the Chicago boss, was also with her at the same time. So there was like some sort of jealousy there. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't know the details of that story, but I've heard that story as well. I would totally buy that. Yeah. So there's yeah. always some sort of right. like on, there's a woman involved <laughs> somehow. <laughs> always is. But Thanks. this this is during that time, so they had all the heat on him because it did still happen. RFK was the AG. He brought yeah. these guys in front of the camera and everything. And now we get into the 60s, and this is what you were alluding to a lot earlier in our conversation mm -hmm. with the whole Pox Bonanno ending. Right. So you had mentioned your grandfather got, like, abducted in air quotes and all that. Right. Mm -hmm. What – so what what happened? Like what led up to that? The 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 bananos and the five families are floating along, everything's good, and then all of a sudden your grandfather has enemies. Like what 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 went down? Well, in short, they um you know the the repercussions of the, you know, the Gallo and the Profaci, the the battle that they were having internally um you know after Joe Profaci died you know, um, Joe Malioko took over and, you know, he, he wanted to settle the scores or, you know, even the score, whatever, however you want to put that, you know, with Gallo. And can and you then, explain who Joe Gallo was to people? Well, Joe Gallo is crazy. Joe Gallo was, uh, was his name. And he was kind of a, you know, a low level leader, uh, that wanted more, um, and felt like he deserved more. And in the fifties, he tried to become, you know, become the boss of his family, but then he ended up getting arrested and going to jail for like 10 years. But during the time he was incarcerated, you know, all he did was plan, you know, his revenge. And then when he got out, uh, he went after, you know, at that time it was the head of the family was, uh, Columbo was head of the, well, became the Columbo family at that point. Um, you know, and he shot, he took him out, you know, he had him taken out. Uh, while he was giving a speech, it's it's in the you know well documented in, you know the Godfather movie and in the offer they have a whole scene right. um, you know that that depicts that but that was Joey Gallo who who caused all that strife um, you know in you know in the Perfacci family you know which this, had become the Colombo family which had become the Colombo family right which actually because you mentioned 
we've talked about Maglioco a bunch today because he was your your grandfather's cousin, right? He was uh, Joe Profacci's uh, cousin, and Joe, you know, Joe Profacci being the head of the Profacci clan, um, and you know, they became. Well, my you know, my father married my mother, who was a Profacci, you know, who was Joe Profacci's niece. You know, his brother Salvatore was my mother, my grandfather, my my mother's father. Um, so, but Malioko took over after you know after Joe died, um, early sixties and the early sixties until you know, and then you know, then Colombo took over, and yeah, I should know that history better. Um, so but he wasn't it, related to your grandfather. He was related. He was on was your a, mom's. Um, oh, on the Profaci side. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So he takes over, and there's beef with your grandfather. No, they um, they they were still dealing with their internal strife. However, um, you know, there's this. It's not clear to me how exactly what happened, but they went to a meeting. Um, in you know, back in the '70s, they made a movie called "Honor Thy Father." Um, it was a book written by Gay Talese, and then yep. it was made into a movie. But the scene, you know, shows that they went to a meeting, and uh, Joe Malioka went to a meeting with the, um, you know, with the Gallows. And my dad was, you know, happened to drive, you know, was at the house because, you know, my mom was living there, and at, you know, Joe Malioka had a nice house, and you know, we had come out to New York and we were living there, so my mom was there. And of course, my dad was visiting with my mom. The story goes that he took Joe to this, you know, Joe Malioka to this meeting. The people they met with said, "Hey, Bonanos are with them." He, you know, he even had Joe Bonanno's son, and that's how he kind of got sucked into that whole thing. Um, and then that's when the kind of led to the, the, you know, the falling apart, the war, um, you know, because in the factions that were, you know, that were created, um, you know, it all kind of they they went to war, you know, and got it. So hold on, let me review this so that people can follow yeah i'm, I'm confused myself yeah you know, that that's it's a it, there was a lot i mean there's a lot written about that so I'm, i don't really know what happened um just going from what i remember what i've read and you know what i was told so right so you you have a good understanding of like what was going on with the war because like i mean like you said you were actually unknowingly witnessing something when right, you were yeah. a kid right so but before that if I'm if I'm understanding this, Profaci dies, Maglioco becomes boss of the, and this is the Profaci family that eventually becomes the Colombo family as we know it today, which is right. going to happen in a few years at that point because Colombo is not boss yet. But Maglioco wanted to go, wanted to put a hit out on I think some other bosses or something, and then what you're saying here is that the faction was Maglioco and say like a crazy Joe Gallo kind of. And then on the other side were like the Profat, the former Profaci loyalists. And then your dad's caught in the middle of this because your mom, who's a woman not in the mafia, but she's from the Profaci family. It's right. like there's a question of like allegiances there because he's married right. into it. Right. And okay. then mixed all in there was also, uh, you know, it was at the time when, you know, uh, Colombo wanted to become a member of, he wanted to be on the commission. And he, the story goes that he went to my grandfather, and you know asked him, and my, you know if he, you know how he could, you know can can you get me on the commission basically, mm. um, and he said no, that's not how it works. You know there's got to be a, an open spot, you know there, and then we'll then we'll fill it, right? Well, 
the only way to make an open spot is to you know take somebody out so mm. colombo took what my grandfather said interpreted it oh what he said was oh if i want to get on the commission i need to make my own spot so i need to hit either you know lucchese or carlo gambino where that's not what my grandfather said and he he always argued you know he always oh. felt really misunderstood because of that point because the rumor got out or you know well, Colombo said, "Hey, Joe Bonanno said I should, you know, I I should hit you guys to get on the commission." Oh, he played him on and the then, other end, right? So that uh, you know that caused um, the strife between you know Lucchese, Gambino, and my and my grandfather, um, but it wasn't true, right? He didn't he didn't say he didn't say that. And then right on the heels of that, when you know my dad is with you know Malioko for this other meeting, it's like oh that you know that kind of cemented it, and that's when they you know they decided to. Uh, you know, the commission said, you know, called my grandfather in, said, hey, explain yourself. And, you know, there's a long history of those commission meetings turning out to be ambushes. Mm. And, and unless he had, you know, the... Um, Wait, at the commission meetings? Yeah, well, the commission, you know, wanted to know what this beef was about because, you know, Lucchese and Gambino says said, hey, this guy's, you know, he put a hit out on us. And, you know, they said, hey, we'll come and explain yourself. And, you know, my grandfather wanted, you know, the guy, Zarelli from from Detroit, and I think it was Bruno from uh, Philadelphia. Philly. The whole, you wanted the whole commission there, you know, so he would have an equal, you know, equal and a fair hearing. Well, they would never, they would never bring those guys in. They said, oh, no, we'll just handle this among the five families. Um, and he didn't feel like he, that was a, he would get a fair trial. Plus, he was concerned that that was a setup. So he never showed up in front of the commission. Did they and ever? A, was there ever a that we know of a a hit that was done at a commission meeting? At a commission meeting, no. But he was worried about that happening. He was worried about. Well, they yeah, it wasn't an official commission meeting. It was the mm, commission was calling him okay. in to explain himself. So it would have you know wouldn't have taken place with all the fathers around. Right. It would have been you know them you know coming before. Well, at that point, it would be the other four fathers. You know, and two of those being the ones that were supposedly they hit. So he didn't think he'd get a fair, you know, a fair shake. So he never showed up. Um, and then they took that as a slap in the face, the commission. And, uh, you know, that's when they, you know, went to the basically family members, you know, in the Bonanno family. And they, you know, they caused strife, which caused the, you know, the internal war, you know, which led to my grandfather saying, you know, I'm, you know, I want out of this. And he, you know, he proposed the terms. You know that hey look you know i'll just i'll I'll gracefully bow out, i'll go out and i'll go out to arizona i'll leave all this you know if we could just you know call it quits and that's you know in short i mean it's much more yeah, involved in that but that's skipping ahead so let's right, let's, yeah. let's get let's get into the meat and potatoes of of because it, it's like it's straight out of a movie literally like what went down in the 60s right, right when this happens so colombo goes to the commission and he he was kind of like a snake and played the other end and said, ooh, he told me to kill these guys, so now they're all pissed at your grandfather. Your grandfather feels like, all right, he punched first. They're not going to believe me. We got a problem. This is where this is where the quote-unquote abduction happens, right? Well, right, and he's also under you know, federal indictment at, at, you know, at the time. What was he under federal indictment for? Like tax evasion? Yeah, it was – yeah, some – white collar yeah i think it was tax evasion i'm not really you know 100 percent sure why you know but they they were looking for him and he was subpoenaed and he was supposed to appear before a judge the next day 
Um, and he, he was abducted outside his lawyer's house. Well, it was on Fifth Avenue, I believe, yeah. with his lawyer. Right. So his lawyer was then like, hey, some guys came and said, Mr. Bernano, we want to right. see you. Come with us. And they left. And so he wasn't seen. People thought he was dead because he wasn't seen for two years. Almost two years, right. Excuse me. Did you ever find out where he went for those two years? Well, he talks about it once again in his book where, you know, he went out to Arizona. He went to El Paso. He, you know, he was in New York. He was, he was all over during that time. But he spent most of that time in Tucson. He didn't leave the country at any point. Not during that time, no. But no one could find him. Well, yeah. I don't know, you know, maybe when he was in Buffalo, they went, you know, to Montreal, I don't know, in Canada, but they didn't go, you know, to Sicily or anywhere else during that, you know, during that time. And so the, he then just shows up one day in court and says, like, I understand you want to speak with me, and he's back. Right. So this is two years later. During that time, though, it sounds like you mentioned that they went and caused the, in, like, the commission and people around it, Colombo, guys like that, they went in and caused internal strife in the family, saying, like, ooh, your boss is... You know, the emperor has no clothes because he tried to do well, this. Well, when, when my dad left, you know, when, when my grandfather left, that's when dad stepped in, right? Not everybody was happy mm. that my dad was, you know, the consigliere and he was number two, right? There were a couple guys, you know, Gaspar Di Gregorio and others that, you know, felt that, you know, this young kid, he was 26 years old, 25 years old, and he's coming in and he's going to, you know, he just gets to, you know, skip the line and, and go to the number two. But my grandpa, you know, trusted him. And, you know, when things got really hairy, that's when my grandfather decided to come back because, well, what happened with Malioko uh, and, you know, my dad being with him and, you know, grandpa felt it was time to uh, come what, back. What, what happened with Malioko? Well, that's when he, he went to this meeting and they, you know, they were talking about, you know, they, you know, whatever their hit was or whatever their beef was. And my dad was with Malioko, so mm. they interpreted that as well. It's, you know, the Pfachis and the Bananos are together on this, and, you know. Got it. And they took away power from Malioko and someone else. Like, Malioko was another one. They basically, like, retired, well, kind of. Heart attack. You know, he died as Oh, he well. died. Right. And then that's when, okay. and then, you know, then Colombo uh, took over for a while. And then, of course, then he was shot. Um, right. We touch that at least right. with the crazy so, joe gala thing okay we'll, we'll we'll get up to that too but your grandfather comes back 66 your dad has been in charge during this time but right. there's not full support as you laid out because they look at it as some nepotism is young right. he also had been schooled out in california so he didn't grow up there the entire time they didn't like that but he's in charge grandpa comes back well he's the boss now there's the quote-unquote bananas war that you were witnessing in your basement where, roughly speaking, half the family was like, yeah, we're loyal to Joe, right. and half the family was like, we need new blood. Right. And so there was plenty of bloodshed during this time. It was not right. good. You, you've made it sound like, and, and I think your grandfather did too, like wrote about it and spoke about it on 60 Minutes, but like he just wanted – he was kind of like, I'm getting too old for this shit. I'm done. And that was, they just agreed to it. They're like, yeah, you can leave New York and retire and we're not going to touch you. In short, yeah. I mean, he, he, he arranged it. So he, to appease them, he said, you know, you can put your guys in power, you know, in my family. I'm just, you know, I'm going to pull out. Um, I won't have, you know, I have no ties. I won't have any pull back here. I'm just going to go. And, you know, they, they agreed to that. And he did that. 
Did he did he ever like wonder why they agreed to that? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know he has, you know, he put him in a position because uh, he was, you know, pretty shrewd like that, where that was in their best interest. And that's why they won't. Th- now, I don't recall the exact details of that, but mm. it was a way. Um, and I wish I could recall exactly, you know, how he couched it. My grandpa, I mean, he, um, you know, he basically set it up, gave them what they wanted while he got what he wanted. It was a win-win, and they went for it. Now, your dad, you know, he was older, but your dad is a, a young man at this time who had just been, like, in charge, and he's got to yeah. go out with him and retire as well. Did he – I mean, he was cool with – it's not like it was his call, I guess, but right. he was cool with that, just like, all right, I'm going to leave all this behind? Um. Yeah, I mean, he was he was loyal to my grandfather, and he knew that's what my grandfather wanted, so – you know, he was going to go along with that. Yeah, I'm sure as a young man with his own, you know, desires and designs on, you know, on his life, maybe he would have, you know, liked to stay there. But, yeah. you know, he got he got ambushed on Troutman Street in Brooklyn. Where, yeah, what happened there? You know, they called a meeting. You know, he showed up for the meeting. On his way into the meeting, you know, they, they started shooting at him. And that's really, uh, that's one of the things that brought Grandpa back, you know, out of, um, his hiding or his mm. abduction was that, yeah, once they started shooting at, you know, my dad, he felt he had to get, you know, back in there and, you know, try to calm things down. Also a little tied to the Godfather there, but your dad lived. Like the Don came back in right. when Sonny yeah, got right, hit right, and he's right. like, all right, I'm coming back. We're exactly. out of bed now. Right. So that's crazy. Art lim- imitating life and life imitating art, you know, however you want to look at it. Yeah. And we we had touched very early on about the parallel where, your parents' wedding is the basis of the entire first scene of The Godfather right. because, you know, your grandfather was such a powerful guy who was one of the dudes they, they modeled Vito Corleone after in, in the movie. But also, and you've alluded to it, your mom was – she was the niece of Joe Profaci, who was the, the head of the Profaci family. So right. her she had grown up around it, but she didn't – you and I were talking in the car before they hid that from her. Like she really didn't know much about it. Right. You know, she was raised in a, you know, in a boarding school or a convent. Um, and even when there were articles in the paper, she recalls as a kid, you know, looking at the paper and they were just cut out. You know, certain <laughs> articles just cut out. Um, and, you know, it was, you know, pretty normal. So it wasn't, you know, it's like, show me what this article was. She just, you know, figured it was a picture or something that, you know, her parents didn't want her to see. And, um, you just went on about things because, but then when she's an adult, she knows who she knows your father's in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's not, uh, you know, she wasn't completely obtuse, but, um, yeah, she wanted no part of it. Didn't, didn't understand it. Um, you know, didn't like all the stress that he was under. Didn't, you know, didn't like paying the lawyers, all the money they paid to lawyers or her, <laughs> her line was, well, the lawyers kids have new shoes. Um, cause you know, it was kind of tough for her when, uh, you know, when people were incarcerated, there's not like there's a, um, you know, a social security fund for mobsters, right? When, no. they're, when they're, not, they're not earning, um, when they're not out on the street earning, there's, there's no income, right? No. Um, yeah, we had uncles and and my grandmother lived there, and you know my uncle Greg was really good to my mom and helped out. But it wasn't like there was a a central bank sending you know the mafia bank of America sending a monthly stipend to support you know uh, my mom and the kids while dad was away. It's 
that didn't you know didn't happen like that now if a soldier died in service yeah the don would take you know take care of that family but when you're up in the upper echelon like my dad was no they were if it gets turned off it's turned off that's it right there was was no no reserve or no backup plan it was he was out making money or he wasn't and your mom's still alive today too my mom's still doing well in arizona yes so like does she ever i mean at her wedding she's got as you said senators congressmen judges mob bosses all these people tony bennett singing there the cake Uh, that's 12 stories tall and then it becomes the basis of the first scene in the most famous movie ever made like does she ever like reflect on that now like wow that shit was wild she doesn't i mean if she does she doesn't talk about it mm. um you know she was whatever you know yet 19 20 years old you know she was just a kid herself um and you know back then you know the important families in brooklyn would have those kind of you know maybe not as lavish as as the wedding my parents had but they would be big weddings tended by a lot of people and um so it wasn't that abnormal Mm. Right. It was uh, it was just a little bit bigger than everybody else's. And she knew, you know, they were, you know, the Bonanno family, you know, they were special. And, you know, her uncle was, you know, a man, you know, a respected man. So they knew they were they were special in some whatever in their their little society. But um, no, I don't think she ever, you know, reflects about, you know, her role in any of you know the movie and all that. She was just. Kind of, uh, you know, she was definitely there and definitely, a, you know, a key piece of it and has a great story, but. Um, Crazy story. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she, uh, you know, she sits around waxes about that. What is, like, how did your parents meet, though? Like, just running in the same well, the, circles when they, they were, were kids? They were families. My grandfather, Salvatore Profaci, and my grandfather, Joe Bonanno, were friends. Um, right. You know, they were buddies. They, they you know, they were both uh, smart guys and they, they liked each other. Right. So they would, you know, families would visit families. They were, you know, close, uh, you know, they're Sicilians and, um, you know, my, my mom knew my dad from when she was, you know, what, eight or 10 years old. And he was a few years older and always had a crush on him. And, you know, the story is that it was an arranged marriage. Um, grandpa denies that everybody, you know, my dad denied, mom denied it. And, but mom fell in love with dad. He was in love with dad at a young age, you know, it was a family friend. And, uh, fortunately for, you know, both them it worked out yeah um yeah all things that considered. mom yeah that mom really you know just fell in love with them and they ended up getting married and the rest is history and so he so. didn't die in the war and all this right you know like right. things things turned out okay <laughs> right. it could it could have gone bad but like you know you, you to go back forward with it like you talk about your grandpa coming back and then this war happens and then they just you allude to him having the proper leverage let's say to be able to pull off that deal to go out west but like now you're growing up in arizona you know when when did you start asking questions or wondering like okay you know my family seems to be a little different here what's what's the real basis of what we do well you know growing up i kind of had a chip on my shoulder because you know dad wasn't around all the time um you know i would go to the father-son's you know, games and things with my neighbor's dad, which, you know, I was very appreciative that he took me. Um, but it's still, you know, I'd go with my older brother, you know, everybody else was, you know, had their dad there. Um, you know, at even high school graduation, dad was there. So I was kind of, uh, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder, kind of ignored it all and just wanted to, you know, distance myself from it. Um, but as I got older, uh, it became harder because, um, you know, people had, you know, they believe certain things, right? They just, and 
doesn't matter what the truth is. Um, they know your name, they know who your family is, and they automatically, you know, prejudge you. And um, at some point, you know, like you realize you can't fight it. Yeah. <laughs> you got, you might as well embrace it uh, and try to make the most out of it. And you know, that's what that's what happened. And it wasn't really until college that I realized, you know, it was kind of extraordinary because you know you hear about other kids, you know, upbringings, and I would tell stories and. They would go, wow, really? Wow, that really happened. And, and that's when you realize. You didn't you know, have guys sleeping in your like, basement? You yeah, that's, that's not the way it was for you. And, um, you know, and you, then you realize when you start getting older and you see other people's lives and how other people were brought up that you, you know, and of course you're a little smarter and better read. Um, and you figure, you know, you figure it out. Oh, yeah, this was something special. Yeah. Um, but it still feels like, you know, it was our normal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy normal. Right. But I don't know anything else. Right? Yeah. So, but it's it's like, you know, it is as we've been saying this whole time. It's like a piece of of American history, for better or worse, like in general. And your family was at the ground floor of it, hypothetically. Right. right. And the name, the name persists for yeah. whatever reason. You know? Yeah. I don't know why. I don't, yeah. I don't know why they never. You know, they've changed. Like you said, they've changed the names of the other families. Um, but the Bonanno family has always been one of the. It was one of the five original commission families, and yep. the name still sticks. And you, you've, I think you said this at some point early on when we were talking about it. But you had mentioned your grandfather was against prostitution, didn't get like get involved in that business, and he was also, as were some of the other bosses early on, very against narcotics, right? Because he didn't, he didn't like anyone not having a clear head like in general so he didn't want to be a part of that business that led to people not having that but the problem is narcotics are a huge money maker so as the years go on you have younger soldiers coming up especially people who are not immigrants you know their first second generation they're looking at this and they're like how the fuck are we not getting involved in this business and there's a lot of when when you look at some of the let's say like the people who over the years were investigating your grandfather or things like that and your father they would always say claim like oh no they were absolutely involved in narcotics but right. your father and grandfather maintained that they were nowhere near it and they they admit that right when they left the Bonanno family and it was no longer theirs they went out right. to Arizona the Bonanos had broke free and they were crazy into narcotics right. and everything but is that do, do you believe them on that that they they legitimately kind of like Don Corleone in the movie were like no we want no part of this and you're going to get killed if you get involved with it yeah well i don't know if there was any you're going to get killed if you get involved with it but it wasn't yeah it wasn't something that he tolerated yeah if he knew about it there would be um repercussions now you know dealing in you know dealing some drugs is not you know may not be a capital offense so i don't know if he would you know Kill him. There was there's only certain things you do that you know got you whacked, and I don't think you know. But less you know the, the grandpa told you specifically don't do this, and you did it anyway. Um, you know, but if they just say, well, we're frowning upon this, and that you do it, well, maybe that's not a capital offense. But that's that's not the point. The point was that yeah, grandpa maintained the whole time that he was you know against narcotics and the whole narcotics trade, and I think he saw what would happen. Um, with all with all the money and what because mm. it, it kind of happened exactly what you know he always said that if all this money comes in and it's easy money and narcotics is big money and it's easy money for them that why would they need to 
follow this code or, you know, listen to your, to your boss and, and, you know, pay deference to the, you know, to the family, to the, uh, uh, to the father of the family. Why would you put up with all that stuff when you can go make your own, you know, quick million, um, you know, selling some heroin. And that's exactly what happened. All these guys, you know, started doing their own thing and, um, it kind of, kind of fell apart. It's amazing that he was able to be in control for so long and, and have the ability to recruit and have a big family for a long time because even from day one, a guy like Lucky Luciano was always involved in that business. Right. So you look at a bunch of these other families, they, there was always elements of it, even if there were some bosses who were like, oh, no, we're not really into that. They weren't as strong about as your grandfather was on it. But like, you know, the competitive disadvantage – you know, recruiting family members when you don't offer that, you better be able to make money like crazy hand over fist and gambling and stuff like that. I got to think. No? Well, yeah. I mean, and they were more, you know, the, the, the legitimate businesses were just as important, right? What In were fact, their legitimate businesses? Uh, cheese. Um, of course. You know, the, you know, and they were, they were big into the, into the garment business. Um, you know, they had trucking companies, um, you know, warehousing, uh, so they, you know, he would always, inv- you know, find partners that, um, you know, knew their business real well that needed, you know, and a lot of people came to him, right. Mm. They knew he was a, you know, well-to-do guy. He had influence, you know, they would have a good idea for a company and they would approach him and, you know, he definitely wanted to, you know, be in legitimate businesses because the dream was always to, you know, to get out and fall back on those. Mm. So for your grandfather, for my grandfather. Yeah. He wanted, yeah, he definitely you know, at what you know, saw that he was going to get out at one point, and you know, wanted to have land holdings, and you know, I think his real love was his cheese business. I mean, he just had a, his whole personality change when he started talking about cheese, and um, you know, there's a great, uh, you know, the the state of Pennsylvania did had this whole uh, investigation. Uh, you know, they call it the mo- mozzarella. You know, they mm. cornered the market with the mozzarella. So pretty much anybody who was making a pizza in America. In the seventies, you know, the mafia was getting some of that action for, for a couple reasons there, but yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, but that the uh, if if you ever looked that up, the uh, state of Pennsylvania, I think it was like nineteen eighty three or so, they did a whole uh, investigation, and you know, my grandfather, yeah, they talks about the whole cheese business and how they, you know, made people use their cheese and right, um, right. and it's it's. Uh, yeah, that's 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 a good story. That's <laughs> another tangent. So he, but it's interesting to me that he always wanted that as a fallback. I wouldn't have expected that from your grandpa because it always it, it seemed like the way you were explaining it was he viewed that as the next generation, and this is just the life he had to have. Right. But either way, he's. It's interesting that he still he obviously made a fuck ton of money for those thirty years when things oh, yeah. were good. Yeah, and. When shit hit the fan, he didn't give it up right away. He still came back. He still fought for it. It's kind of like I'm looking at it psychologically, and I'm thinking to myself, it's like once you're in, you do like the action. Like you, you even if he had always said to himself, like, oh, I want to just be able to go to the legitimate businesses. It's right. like you enjoy a level of power and operating outside the law when you do something like being the boss of a family. That That's it's true. like once it comes time to give it up, it's like, oh. I'll stay a couple more years. I'll, oh, I can I can do another five, and then eventually it turns into a spot where it's like, no, he literally had to be like, all right, I need to get out of here. It took that to get there, is my point. Right. 
you know, and that that is one of the criticisms that people have, you know, of his book that he doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't ever speak to that side of it, right? Mm. Um, he's always talking about the structure of the family and how that was all important to him. But yeah, you must, you know, there had to be motivations, you know, like you said, just the way humans are, that uh, you know, you like to be boss. It's good. Yeah. It's good to be king, type of thing. It is right, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there was. I, you know, I'm not privy to that. I don't know what was in his mind, but I do know that uh, he wanted to, you know, he wanted to have legitimate businesses, and he wanted to be a legitimate businessman. Um, and is he that- was. There was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of guys that were, you know, part of the mafia or whatever you want to call it, part of the family that were, you know shoemakers and you know pipe fitters and mm. but they were guys that understood the tradition and yeah they you know they may have needed a favor or something and it was all about connections really right if you know somebody and that could help me out and i know somebody that you need something and he provides that service they'll put them together and that was really the structure that you know that grandfather you know grandpa liked um having you know sometimes yeah they had to go outside the law to do the things but i think he would have preferred you know, if he didn't have to, if he could do everything legitimate, he probably would have been, you know, happier with that, I think. Is that what he leaned, like when he went out to Arizona, because he ended up living another 30 some years, yep. did he, he still had his legitimate businesses, some of right. them at least, right? right? Right. But at that time, they were going after my grandfather and my uncle, I mean, my dad and my uncle Joe, you know, they were getting indicted, it seemed like, you know, every week, um, you know, and then there was that whole commission thing. And what what whole commission? The the commission trials, right? Where they brought my grand, you know. Oh, in the eighties, and that was in the eighties, right? But, but when he first goes out there in the seventies, does he still have like the cheese business and everything? Yeah, but they were all under indictment all through the seventies, right? Mm. They were fighting the government and all the money. They sold everything to pay the lawyers to fight the government because he did not want to lose that, you know. And he felt he was in the right that they were coming, you know they they were coming after him. Um, well, my dad and, and my, my uncle only because they were his sons right? and they were, you know, he was going to pay any amount of money to, you know, to defend them. And he did. I mean, they, they sold all the land, they sold the businesses basically to, to fight the government because that's, that became his mission. Fighting right? the government. Fighting the government, right? He felt that they were the Gestapo. He would refer to the government as the Casapo, and he couldn't believe that they would do the things. You know, can't even imagine how we would feel now that the you know the Justice Department is basically weaponized, um, and that's what he was afraid of. And he mm. would he would speak to that all the time, and and it's weird because I remember hearing that a long, long time ago, and then here we are. Yeah, um, I think over history, like if you look at it. You know, we didn't have the benefit, or they didn't have the benefit, I should say, of 50 years ago having like social media and things like that, the internet with ubiquitous information. But, you know, you can run through it, even in a country like this, which is a great example to the world. There has always been, politics is just a piece of it. There is corruption built into the system. They are going to weaponize some of these things depending on, you know, which of the two parties is in power. You're 100 percent right. Right. But it's interesting he looks at it that way because what I'm hearing here in that is he was so – he was so set in his attitude from his own experience of like, for example, worst case scenario like Mussolini of then viewing everything in the future as like there's pieces of that. 
there's pieces of that here, so they must be the bad guys. It's right. like the cops and robbers, who right. or the cops and criminals, like, who's the cop and who's the criminal? You have a different view on it depending on what seat you're sitting in. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and when you have a hammer, most everything looks like a nail, right? So <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's a saying because it's true. Right? Yeah. So absolutely, I would say, yeah, he did, he did uh, have a prefixation on the whole fascist thing and any anything that the government did that was a little bit like that, yeah, he would... He would consider that fascist. Interesting. So we've been talking about it throughout the conversation about the whole book that he wrote in 83, Mm -hmm. A Man of Honor. And I think now we're like right at that point where we should really dig into that because it became something that it wasn't ever intended to be. And this is actually – this is something that still causes drama today with some guys on the internet, former mobsters, arguing about it, which we can get into. But – your grandpa, who at this point is, I guess when it came out, he's like 78 years old. He's the oldest school of the oldest school. Everyone he came up with is dead at mm-hmm. this point, right? Lucky Luciano's dead. Al Capone's dead. All these guys. And he decides to write this book called A Man of Honor. In it, he doesn't name names. He doesn't mention anyone who's alive now and what's going on. He gives some generalized opinions. And so he felt he had kept the code of silence, Omerta, with the book. But he does talk about some of the process and explains that, you know, confirms that the world exists. Did he envision that this would, that like just mentioning the structure of everything would be used against the current mafia in court? Uh, Did he envision? I don't think so. Um, I mean, he was—he had a lot of foresight, but I don't think he could have. There's any way he could have, you know, predicted uh, that that's what would happen. I mean, he wanted to tell his story. He wanted to, you know, set the record straight from his point of view, um, because he felt that, you know, the whole—it really comes back to this boss of bosses thing that he, you know, he didn't want to be the boss of bosses, and that's contrary, you know, to what he was all about, and he wanted to to get the message out that. That wasn't him. That wasn't what he was about. Mm. Um, so that was really the point of it. He waited until he was that old because you know he didn't want to. He didn't want to break the code. And anybody that he talked about or you know implicated in that book was dead and gone. So there was really no violation of any code. And um, you know he wasn't selling anybody out because that's you know yeah Omerta is you know is keeping quiet but it's you know you don't you don't narg out your brothers you don't you know you just don't do that and he didn't feel like he was doing that because they were all gone there was no way he could have predicted that you know a few years later Giuliani would you know use that uh, as the basis to say hey this was this was a racket this was the this was the commission they were colluding um, and here's how it worked yeah in his book he does outline how you know the structure of it and the function uh, and how it, you know how it functioned how it was structured so uh he definitely uh teed it up for him but i don't you know there was no intent to do that and there was no way he could have known mm. because the other thing just for historical timeline perspective for people out there like trying to follow it it's like rico wasn't used i don't believe until that commission trial you talked right. about in 85 or 86 right so that this was invented throughout the 70s into the 80s by g robert blakey that then allowed 
for the first time the government to make a case where they could take a lower level of or, or a lower le lower level soldier's offense and just use it as reasonable proof let's say right. that that none of that action could happen without the people all the way up here right. in essence like the bosses that your grandfather was writing about right so then giuliani sees his book doesn't like your grandpa obviously because he was in the mob and then mm -hmm. decides like, oh, I'm going to now compel this guy to testify at these trials about what he wrote here. Right. And your grandpa wouldn't do it. Correct. Yeah, he went in front of the judge and he said, no, he, you know, I'm taking the fifth. <laughs> they said, we're going to hold you in contempt of court. I asked him again. He said, no, nope, I'm taking the fifth. You know, they put him in uh, for six months. Six months later, judge <laughs> asks him the same question. He gives the same answer. Happened again after 18 months. The judge says, this guy's not going to talk. He's costing us too much money to keep him here, um, you know, because they had special details watching him, and you know he had health health issues, and they, you know, they basically sent him home. And that was it. That was that for him, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for the other guys, but uh, who got busted on the commission trials? I mean, they were they were fixing contracts. I mean, and they were they got caught talking about it. Um, so yeah, you can say, oh well, it's because Joe Bonanno's book, right? No, well, he didn't testify. He didn't testify, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the book was there, um, and it was the basis for the you know for the you know prosecution, uh, using you know showing that there was racketeering going on. That, like you said, there's no lower level thing could go on because the bosses had to, um, you know, had to approve it, and that you know shows that there was a criminal organization, there was racketeering going on, and um, he was successful in the in that prosecution. But those guys didn't help themselves by. Uh, yeah, they were on wires. Yeah, right. Being yeah, being recorded talking, you know, exactly how they were fixing the uh, you know, the contracts for the cement uh, contracts in New York City. So, um I don't know. I I, I just uh you know, if if somebody thinks he did it on purpose and and people do. I mean, people have been saying that um that you know, he did this on purpose kind of to get back at people. It's not the case. It's absolutely not the case. Um he wanted to be he wanted to say his piece from his perspective, and he wanted people to know what really happened, and that's why he wrote the book. Yeah, I mean, one of the more shocking things that I think probably was part of the reason those claims fly around is because beyond the book, he actually did like the 60 Minutes interview mm -hmm. where you put a face on it. You hear the man talk. I think right. It was like a full half hour, 40 minute segment or whatever, which is available on YouTube. But just for people right now, I wanted to play. I have it behind us right there. I wanted to play a quick segment of this because he's he's talking about the the idea of it and just putting myself in that time period, 1983, this is where it's still a mystique. Like at this point, at least the Godfather's out. There were those early like hearings or whatever, but people are wondering like, well, how deep does this stuff go? Yeah, right. And then you literally have like a piece of history here, like an 80-year-old man saying, I'll tell you all about yeah, it right. or here's, whatever. Here's how it goes. All right, so, so let's see. I think I have it on that one part we were talking about earlier. Let's see if it Dear is. Maranzano, you loved a man, you said, by the name of Salvatore Maranzano. Yes. Your first hero. That's right. Was Salvatore Maranzano. Maranzano. Yes. But then you say he was said to be able to snap a man's neck with his fingers. And I say when I Look read this. That's a metaphorical. <laughs> well, uh, 
That's it's quite a metaphor. Well, <laughs> it's quite a metaphor. He also told you this. Wait, I gotta pull that back one yeah, sec. This like line. That. You like that line. <laughs> but then you say he was said to be able to snap a man's neck with his fingers. And I say oh, when I, I read that. That's a metaphorical. That's a metaphorical. Well, uh, <laughs> it's quite a metaphor. Well, it's quite a metaphor. <laughs> he also told you this. Man is the hardest animal to kill. When you aim at a man, your hands shake, your eyes twitch, your heart flutters. But you kill nonetheless. That's what I find a little difficult to understand. You gotta make sure fighting for your life and to protect your life and nobody has the right to destroy another human being. All you don't do, but once you do, make sure. And make sure that you protect yourself with anything. So that I can fully understand what your dad's saying. Sometimes, oh, your dad's in this, right? Yeah, absolutely. There comes point in, in the affairs of men where you try to control by force. And if that does not succeed, then you have to control by being a brute. By? Being a brute. And if possible, Maranzano told you, if possible, always touch the body with your gun to make sure the man is dead. <laughs> Once you fight to survive it, to protect your life, Make sure that you succeed. <laughs> but Maranzano himself—that's yeah. an incredible line. Yeah. So, yeah, and people—I would recommend people watch that. The, the reason I like playing that one is not just because it's kind of funny, like when he like is saying the full words right. with the great accent and everything, but it's also like, you know, people are someone sitting at home on a Sunday night, like listening to this guy, be like, yeah, you know, it, sometimes it comes to that. Right. You know, and you got to like swallow that. And then I can just imagine these mobsters who are going on trial like, oh, this is this is going to sound great at yeah, trial. This doesn't help our cause. No, for sure. right. no. So there's there is a little bit of animosity there. But again, like he didn't do this isn't being recorded when Rico was a known thing yet. And then once it did come up, he wouldn't testify about it. So hypothetically, he was, I guess, I guess, like in their world, a stand up guy in that way. Still. Absolutely. I mean, that's. And and that's the way he saw it. That's the way I see it. Um, that uh, yeah, he definitely he definitely wrote the book, but you know he did not testify. He did not help you know the government's case um, with his testimony at all. I mean, he went to jail for it for eighteen months. Yeah. So as an old as an old man as an too. old man, yeah. And he had never been. They had never got him for anything in his life. Right. He had been arrested and he'd been incarcerated after arrest, but was never convicted until until that. And that wasn't even a conviction. It was that, just like, right. That was contempt of court. That's pretty wild that he lived to like 97, invented the commission, and never did a day in convicted jail. Right. Right. Prison. Right. That's nuts. Different world, I guess. Yeah. But when, when, that, when that trial went down in New York, wasn't it that like Giuliani, he also like refused to, to meet with him because Giuliani was like coming out to sit with him? Right. Well, as he had, well, he had a, had a, had a heart attack. Um, Your grandfather, my did. grandfather, and he didn't. You know, they didn't feel like it was safe for him to travel, so they yeah they did the uh, hearings in in the federal courthouse in Tucson, and that's where he officially said I plead the fifth. Right. Not, so it was all in court. Got it. It's just crazy to me that that how fast that happened because they went all these years, fifty, sixty years, 
unabated and then suddenly government has this one law and they can tie it all together and they literally did i mean they decapitated the the crazy power of the mafia in right. effectively like 15 years or so it was a crippling crippling blow absolutely the rico the rico laws worked <laughs> yeah and before that though in the 70s after you guys were gone that was when operation donnie brasco happened Right. Which was again, it's not your grandfather's family anymore, but it was in the Bonanno, Bonanno family. The Bonanno family, right? With the capital F, right? <laughs> exactly. Did he ever comment on that? Like, have an opinion on that, or did your dad have any opinion on like what went down there? Well, you know, I think it was a you know somewhat of a source of embarrassment, right? Because uh, it was so widely known, and you know, the movie, and you know, everybody knows Donnie Brasco, and right. and knows that the family that they that he quote fooled was the Bonanno family. So, um, but not having, you know, not having involved their, you know, personal involvement, either my grandfather or my dad. Um, no, they pretty much left that alone. Uh, they weren't happy about it for sure, but uh, they also felt, you know, didn't take responsibility for it because they were, yeah, yeah, they were yeah, not involved at that point. Right. So, but they also, when they made this deal to go out there, did they ever like, did your dad ever set foot in New York again? Oh yeah, you know, and, and it's not a matter of not being able to go back there and and you know do you know family things or you know regular things. It was just didn't get involved in you know in the activities of right. the of the mob anymore. And right. they didn't right. They did their own things, you know, in New York. I mean, in California and in Arizona, but nothing involved with anything in Arizona after the sixty. Interesting. Okay, so because we think of it as so like. These guys are so black and white about stuff. It's like you go into retirement. It's like, no, you literally like can't come in the neighborhood again because yeah. that will threaten our territory. But I guess it wasn't quite like that. Mm -mm. They were able to do it. I just didn't get involved in you – know, but they knew they had you know legitimate business dealings and other things they had to do in New York. So, yeah, you can go freely, come and go freely as you want. You just you know wasn't going to get involved in anything. Right. right. I actually – when I was doing – I don't know if I said this on camera, but you and I have been talking before about how when I was in high school, I had to write – I was assigned to like a – you know, the term paper, like the research paper junior year, and I had to write it on the Sicilian mafia, like mm -hmm. over there, which then, you know, the research ties in to like what happened here. And I went down that whole rabbit hole, and this is like somewhat earlier days of YouTube, so there were all these – like re-uploaded documentaries at the time, many of which are still on. there. Some of them are, oh, yeah. but a lot of them aren't. And I would just sit there like in my free periods and watch them. And they were all produced in like probably the late 90s kind of deal. And your dad was, he was in all of them. Like right. he was the one guy like formerly – like they'd have some special ones where there'd be like a former guy who ratted in court or something. Sometimes they'd hide his face mm -hmm. and he'd be interviewed for one of these episodes in like these series on like A&E or whatever. But your dad was like the one guy who's like next to all the reporters where they're cutting back to him all the time right. giving opinions on this stuff. Did they, Did he ever get any like shit even though it's years later? Did he get any shit from them for like talking on these documentaries about this stuff? No, because um, you know he wasn't naming names. He wasn't uh, he wasn't giving anything away, and you know they all knew that you know that that was Dad's kind of profession, 
um, was to make these movies. And he was he was on Discovery and 60 Minutes, and he was doing all those things because he was trying to get books and movies made, which he did. You know, they had a, you know he ended up getting a, a Showtime series made about kind of it's kind of a blend between his story and and grandpa's story and um they had a mini you know book my mom's book you know had a book written and then a movie made um you know about that so um oh your mom wrote a book too my mom wrote a book yeah mafia marriage and uh really became a movie and uh yeah they had uh you know some success with those things but over the years yeah, he wrote a couple books, and in fact, he went on to write a book with Joe Pistone, who was Donnie Brasco. Oh yeah, right. So, what was um, the name of that book? It's called The Good Guys. Uh, it's an incredible story about the um, when the Russian mob came into Brooklyn in the seventies, and one it, each chapter alternates between uh, the FBI telling the story and the mob. Basically, my dad telling from the mob's perspective, and Joe Pistone telling the story from the FBI perspective, but they're both looking at the same thing. Um, I think it's a made for, you know, a six part series and Netflix or one of those movies, the way the book re reads, it's just a great read. It's a great story. Um, and I've been working with, you know, we had a screenplay written from the book and we were trying to get it sold, but um, yeah, I'm in on that one. That's so far. Sick. <laughs> yeah. So far, no, you know, nobody has, uh, you know, has written a big check and said, "Yeah, we're going to make this movie," but it's not over yet. I think, um, I think if if somebody who is interested in this genre, and there are a lot of people interested in this genre, mm -hmm. reads that book, I mean, I, it's to me, it's a no brainer. It's it's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely a fantastic story, and just the way they did it, and the fact they have the Donnie Brasco, I mean, Joe Pistone and Bill Bonanno, who collaborated to write this to me is is fantastic in and of itself given the history that's right? full circle right there. right you know so um so yeah we're we're still working on that and uh you know i think joe pistone and leo rossi um have their own webs uh podcast that they're you know mm. they're working this and i don't think they talk about a lot of things but uh you know i'm trying to get the uh trying to do what i can to you know spark some interest in uh in taking that that other project further yeah, so I, I had mentioned to you earlier quickly that one guy I've known for a lot of years is this dude, Jules Bonavolanta, who before people even start asking me, I talk to him, he does not do podcasts. Like, he's of that, like, he will not. Right. Great guy, the best guy, but, like, he literally doesn't do them. He turns down all these other people, and so I, I respect that. But he was the guy who was a part of that squad that took down the mafia over those 20 years and Joe Pistone was his buddy and Jules was the handler of Joe Pistone mm -hmm. at the FBI. So he's talked about like when I would ask him about the modern day mafia, he's like, I mean, you know, it's the same shit, gambling, prostitution, drugs, whatever. He said the real, the, the bit, he's like, we have a handle on the Italian American mafia at this point. We kind of know what we're dealing with there in the modern day. The Russians, on the other hand, he said, those motherfuckers are crazy. Like they chop bodies up and you know stick it in an icebox and in like a in like a collage for people. Well, one like, of the scenes in this book is they you know they crush a guy with a hydraulic jack in a you know hmm. in, a, in a auto mechanic shop. And, nice. Yeah, and I can and just envision that and uh, talk about crazy. Yeah, then the mob wouldn't have ever done anything like that, but the Russians didn't uh, didn't hold back. What kind of dealings did your dad? have with them like how well did he know 
where they were integrated, what they were doing, and you know. Well, I think you know they were they were they came into Brooklyn, right? And it was you know there was some turf battles. Like um, what years? This was in the seventies. Um, so after your dad. So after and- right after you know so he witnessed all this, but he wasn't you know wasn't involved. It wasn't you know personal impact you know on him, but he he witnessed you know. The transition, you know, the old neighborhoods. That's what really bothered him was these old neighborhoods that were solidly Sicilian and Italian, you know, had basically become, you know, Russian. <laughs> and that's, it's interesting too, like geopolitically, because this is a time when the Soviet Union is still going strong and everything. There's a lot of people think about the Russian mafia just going off the charts right after the Soviet right. Union fell. But they were already, it's not like they weren't, they didn't exist before and they were already funneling some power in new york city america right in the 70s that's pretty wild i don't i don't know much about that at all so i think that's a story people would love to see i agree <laughs> yeah like have you ever seen eastern promises that mm-hmm. movie with vigo mortensen uh-uh. where it's in london and it's the russian mob no but i'm definitely you gotta gonna see check that. it out yeah you got it's so. wild shit like these guys are crazy what they do it's it's like there's always going to be something worse to come like when you think you see the criminal element that it's like oh we got to get a handle on this someone comes in and they're always like oh you know even like you look at al-qaeda they saw isis and they're like yo, yo yeah listen <laughs> right. listen we're, somebody... we're not like that right. <laughs> you know exactly you know, i mean yeah you could see the parallels i won't say exactly the same but yeah no no it's yeah. A, you but know it, yeah saying. i could see the parallels absolutely yeah so they i i guess like when did that book with pistone happen in the 90s yeah i can't believe that's never been sold that blows my mind. Yeah, that the needs book to did, get made. The, you know, the book did all right, um, but you know, it's it's just been you know us trying to you know make something happen, and uh, and it hasn't happened yet. It's not over, so we're still. You might still see that on the big screen or or on a, on a, on a miniseries somewhere before it's over. So. Well, you guys are also all busy people. Like none of you, none of you grew up in the mafia. Like you, you know, your brother's a pediatrician, right? It's a you doctor. Know, you're you're right. you're in the logistics. This I don't is, know how to describe it, right? Yeah. What? How would you describe your business? Uh, telecom project management is right. what I do. So, um, yeah, it's what we call now a side hustle for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and these are the kinds of things you got to be pounding the table all the time right. about right. to get it through. Right. So right. that's tough. And you know, and I met you know a few years about um, seven or eight years ago. I was you know really put an effort together. We created an LLC and we're pitching it to people. And there's just a lot of. Uh, not so uh, upstanding characters involved in the whole, you know, Hollywood scene and getting yeah. a movie made. Just you know, all these people that, hey, do you just give me ten thousand and I'll turn this into a hundred thousand right. for you? It's like, no, why don't you make the hundred thousand and then, you know, we'll see. I'll pay you ten thousand out of the hundred that you made. How about that? You know, can never get you know get that deal. There was always, um, well, just give me this, give me that. Well, no, I, we have the story. That's what we have, right? Uh, we have the rights to the story and and. We need you to, you know, produce it and make it into a movie and get the financing. And was never able to find, a, you know, that benefactor to do that. Well, now the business is also it's still the same in those elements for sure. Right. But there is somewhat more of an ability, from what I hear now, to if you can get your hands on like a great documentary team or something like that to that effect, I'm not even talking about a feature film right now. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about like, if you just did the documentary to start, you can make that project, which is a risk, right? Right. Putting money into that. And then if it's good, 
Netflix, Hulu, right, these yeah, different yeah. places will start being like, oh, fuck yeah, like let's bid for that. So that, we got to figure that out. Right. Because that, that could easily, I could see it starting as like a great, you know, six part miniseries documentary. Well, and that's someone you know, with, making the movie. With all this happening in the, the podcast sphere, whatever yeah. you want to call this, um, you know, it seems like the this genre is blowing up for lack of a better term. It is. Um, and, you know, that's what made me think, you know, maybe this is something we could crowdsource, right? <laughs> and fund it that way. Because there, there seems to be a lot of people interested in that story. Um, and it might, you know, it, I, it's just something that I had toyed with in, in my mind. I've never, you know, actually, you know, started a Kickstarter or anything like that. But definitely have thought about, I wonder if there'd be enough people that would, uh, you know. But then again... I don't know how all that, you know, that how that world works. So I need to educate myself a lot more. Yeah, I also think like your family story, like the Bonanno story, is one that isn't, you know, like if you look at the Lucky Lucianos and stuff like that, there's a lot of content in different verticals that involve him or right. even Al Capone, who was kind of like a, his own kind of thing. But, you know, the Bonanno story is so unique and it also has it has so many ties to the Godfather and it's got a full arc from immigrant all the way through, you know, retiring out west and the book and Rico and everything. It's that outside like the Russian angle we were just talking about, that too, I think kind of needs its own its own content right. for people to, to really see it. Because it you know, it's it's a great it's it's a very, very compelling story. Right. Well, uh, you know, it has been told though. I mean, in the '70s, there was the Honor Thy Father movie, which was you know pretty successful. You know, that told the story about you know the wars in the '60s and everything. Right. And then, and then my dad had this Showtime miniseries um, that you know told the story you know as well. So it's not that it hasn't been done before, and it's not that it you know can't be updated and modernized. I'm all for that. That's what I'm saying because right. the goal it wasn't done during any of the golden eras of like premium long form content, right? Like we have right. now. It's all different now, right? Yeah, and, and this kind of platform is made for that. Yeah, to me, yeah, it's like everything's coming together. I'm hoping that uh, you know to put some of those pieces together. Yeah, I mean, you remember they did like a movie? I think it was literally called Gotti in like '96 or whatever. It was. Excuse me. Oh, you good? Yeah. It was. It was terrible. You know, they they did like a regular kind of lower budget movie with yeah. C and D list actors, but like today, they did try to do it through his son again, and that got all fucked up. But like, right. how do you not make a feature series on that? You know what I mean? Like a twelve part series or hey, something. Hey, everybody, listen to this guy. He's onto something. Here. I, I, I'm I think I'm on. I think I, I'm, yeah, I'm, on, I'm on board with that for sure. I agree with you wholeheartedly, um, and. Uh, and I'm hoping that's where all this leads. Yeah, yeah. So the the other thing that I referred to at one point, I said we come back to, that I'm less familiar with, but maybe you can educate me on exactly what's going on, is the guy, Michael Francis, who's an ex, he's an ex-member of the mafia. He was a Kappa regime for, was he, Was he wasn't Bonanno, was he? No. No, he was. I think he was Gambino family, but I, I can't tell you for sure. I want to say I'll look it up in a minute, yeah. but he was he was a capital regime. His, his father was in it, and he ended up getting caught, turned government witness, mm -hmm. did ten years in prison, found God, and is a content creator now, like mm -hmm. for a while now. And he has talked about how your grandfather, like he says, oh, the guy was a legend and all this stuff, helped build this whole thing, runs through the history of it, but he's said like. 
he's one of the guys who's spoken out like why the fuck did he write this book and it was a huge mistake and he ruined his legacy and all that is right. that about what it is yeah i mean that's 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 a pretty good encapsulation of of what has happened recently um and yeah he does have um you know he speaks about my grandfather in high regard up until the point uh where he wrote you know where he wrote the book and he feels like he you know he violated the code of omerta by writing that book and like I mentioned before, my grandfather doesn't see it that way. I don't see it that way. I, don't, you know, I know my dad didn't see it that way either. Uh, he felt like he was telling his story. He was clarifying uh, some things that historically uh, were attached to him that were, were inaccurate. And um, and looking, you know, to me, looking at the book in 2022 or 2021, whenever in modern times, um, it's not fair to judge it. Of, from where the life was in the eighties. Right. Right. Um, but we're doing it anyway. And here we are because it did happen (laughs) that Julie, that's a fact, right? It did happen. Juliana used that book and that book outlined the structure and it gave, uh, you know, Juliana the idea to, you know, use, you know, put it all together under Rico and, and it definitely worked. I mean, for the government. So you can't deny that that is, what happened it's it's when you talk about the intent or you say well you know he wrote this book to get back at people no he didn't write this book to get back at anybody he wasn't trying to throw anybody under the bus he wanted to be say his piece and be clarified you know where he stood on these you know things historically that uh were assigned to him or, or attributed to him that weren't true and that's why he wrote the book. That was the motivation of the book. But you can't deny what has happened. I so. just don't understand. I mean, as an outsider looking in on this, I don't really get how you can make those types of bombastic claims about something that was later used against somebody because mm-hmm. a new law was invented when, in fact, the guy saying that, and perhaps like even when Sammy the Bull has made some similar comments or along the same lines about your grandfather, it's like, but you literally, you know, not even blaming you, but you literally were a government witness. You know what I mean? Like you, right. you broke the ultimate, right. quote Hello. unquote, code of it. Hello, pot. This is the kettle calling type of thing. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and you know, maybe that's you know, that's just some way that they can you know defer from what you know <laughs> from their background and say hey well like this guy is you know but what about this guy he was worse he right. wrote a book we never wrote a book well <laughs> i i don't know i would love the opportunity to sit down and 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 go over it with them and see uh because they they still sounds like you know and i say they i'm talking about sammy the bull and franchise and some of these other guys seem to be pretty adamant that uh you know grandpa's book was the you know, was the tell-all book that brought him down. Well, that's not exactly the case. It was case. Rico. Right. It was so, Rico. It, it, helped, um, it helped them make the case, but it was right. Rico's the law that the law that broke the camel's back right. here. Right. But, yeah, it was the intent, right? The intent, what, you know, what happened happened. We can't deny what happened. But the intent of writing that book wasn't to throw anybody under the bus or, you know, it was to, you know, clarify his 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 view of it. Yeah. and I And, again, like... There was at least knowledge of it in pop culture through even if it was like off and romanticized in some ways. But, you know, you had The Godfather and you had Godfather 2. I mean, this was 72 and 74, most famous movies ever made. And it, it at least, even if it was different, 
it showed the ideas. It showed the structure. Like people were aware of this. Right. You know what I mean? And to say nothing of the government had been spying on this for a long time. So they really knew what it was. It's like – to me, it seems like Rico was just kind of inevitable, you know? Right. It was going to happen was, right. at some point or another. So, yeah, and, the, you know, the writing of the book definitely, you know, helped yeah. in that, right? Can't deny – can't deny, like I said, what what actually transpired. It's it's the motivations for those that that's where I have the problem with what they're saying. Yeah. They make it sound like he did it, you know, as vengeance type of thing, where that was not what that was all about. Did did your grandfather? I assume he watched The Godfather at some point. Did he? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a huge movie in in the seventies, and um, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure he did. I never, you know, never got his take on it or, mm. you know, what he thought about it. Um, you know, I thought my my dad definitely um, liked parts of it and, you know, used parts of it as, as, I don't know, as a model for, you know, the movies that he made because that, you know, that became the standard. Uh, and I know growing up and on our bookshelf, we had the, the script of the God, the, the script of the movie um, that was given to my dad and they wanted him to, you know, make notes uh, and it sat on our shelf. I wish I still had it today. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, they gave the producers of the movie gave the script to your to my dad, right? To have him, uh, you know, basically look it over for legitimacy, or you know, and he, you know, there were he had his notes in the margins, and um, I remember it, it sat on the shelf there for years. So because um, I had a big, you know, we had a big bookshelf in our house, and yeah, I know Dad would show people, oh, this is the manuscript from the. You know, from the screenplay, and um, did he tell you who brought that to him? Was it like Bob Evans? I don't know who, but no, I mm. don't know. But I do know that you know Mario Puzo grew up in the neighborhood, yeah. And um, I know my dad had relation with him of some sort, right? Knew him, uh, you know, maybe not friends, but acquaintances anyway. Wow, yeah. There's and that that series, The Offer, which I still haven't watched, which I have to watch. You saw yeah. that, you said, yeah. right? It's, it's pretty really, good. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the backstory behind it, I want to see like how much they got into because whenever I would bring that up to people, they'd be like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "None of this happened without the mob like giving the okay yeah, right. to do a lot of it." Right. And they do talk. They do a good job in that in that offer series of uh, talking about that. And I like the series. It's just that um, the only thing I didn't like about it was that in every situation, everybody took the absolutely high road. You know, and what do you mean? Um, you know, there's situations like, you know, one situation where, you know, one of the one of the actors, you know, inappropriately said something or touched one of the one of the female actors and then in the next scene they were supposed to stage a fight but they did it for real, they beat him up. Um mm. and um so in those kind of things I you know, I thought it was I thought it was real good and you know, they did the right thing, right? The guy inappropriately touched the woman and you know, he got his comeuppance in mm. the very, you know, the very next scene. Um or when you know at the end I don't want to give away the ending, but uh the guy um you know, he's got this secretary that's been loyal to him, you know, the whole time, uh, through everything and he sets her up in a business at the end. And maybe those things really did happen. It just seems like but in every situation, they always everybody did the right thing, mm. um, and it just seems like I don't know. Is, is Hollywood really work that way? I don't, I don't think know. So. Right, but yeah. it made for a good story, and it was it was told it was done well. 
Well, they got to make themselves look okay. Right. They yeah. all and they all looked great. They like I said, they all took the high road in every in every situation. So I don't know if this was in there because I haven't seen it, but I this is a, this is a firsthand story of someone that I knew through someone way older than me. They were friends with him, but a guy who is very high up in let's say the production of Hollywood over the years, and he's retired now, but he was intimately involved with that whole build up and the producing the movie and all that like he wasn't a producer on the movie but he was involved with some of the behind the scenes business of getting it done he said that there were a couple gentlemen who would show up once a week on the set and a designated person would go hand them a little manila envelope and nod their head right and that was it yeah, and they they do show that in the okay. opera. They do they do represent that well. Glad actually. they put that yeah, in they there. Do. Absolutely, very historically Absolute, accurate. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> because there was another story that I don't know if they have this in there, but Carlo they they were filming the scene in on the streets in New York of Vito Corleone, the attempted murder on him, mm-hmm. and this was in Little Italy where they're filming right. it, and at the same time, this was I believe right after. Joe Gallo did the hit on Columbo in, I think that was in Columbus mm-hmm. Square. And around the corner of, from, the, from the film shoot they were doing of Vito Corleone, Carlo Gambino was sitting there at the, at the coffee shop just sipping oh, his really? coffee. And oh. there was like the understanding that he had okayed, they okayed it? that really? this scene no, would I happen. I, so, I don't know. Yeah. They, that one is like that's been reported. That's not like urban legend like a guy said it or something. But that's like the whole art imitating life with that is very – it's very, very unique to me. Like how that movie got made and how it almost never happened but then it became what it became, you know? Yeah, I mean it's and it's it's the you know the, whatever you call it it's it's the one right? yeah. everybody refers to and loves and you know people can quote almost seems like every line in that movie. Yeah. So. Yeah. And did your dad like have an opinion on Goodfellas or something like that that was like a little more just like telling a historical story so to speak? Yeah, those you know any of those other movies he just you know he wasn't he wasn't a big fan um you know because he would he knew, you know, I think because he knew the true stories and he knew where they were, uh, mm. you know, what they were trying to say and what they were based on. So he just watched those things differently than the rest of us, I think. Um, I don't think he found much entertainment in them. Mm. But as far as, you know, you know, he was definitely, he was into making movies and he wanted to get the story and he wanted to do that. So I think he appreciated that they were, you know, moving the genre along. Right, and it became like the biggest thing. I mean, when you think of all-time movies, some of them right in that wheelhouse pop in your mind. Right. People are just so fascinated by it, you know? So it's like, I wouldn't want to be in it, but right. it's interesting to look at it. Like, there's some sort of element there that people can't wrap their minds around. But did your, you know, because you, you, your grandfather was was from Castellamare del Golfo and everything, mm-hmm. and obviously went. You mentioned he was there in '57, for example, when the Appalachian Medium went down in America. But like, did your dad and and your family go back at all too to Sicily? Well, my dad and mom, you know, they went also on their their wedding, their honeymoon. Oh, cool. You know, they went they went around Sicily and Italy, and um, and you know, I think he went back, you know, a couple times, but not any, you know anything significant or any long periods of time now. And then, you know, I think we've all, my brothers and sisters and cousins, you know, a lot of us have gone, 
you know, on vacations. Like I went on my honeymoon. Um, you know, I did a bike tour of Sicily. Mm. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. We had a great time. And um, after, actually, my daughter's name is Alia, and that was named after a city that we rode to the top of and got to the top of this mountain, and it was this beautiful city. And I said to my my well, my new wife at that time, oh, we ever have a daughter, we should name her Alia. And then, oh, wow, that's she, cool. And she found out she was pregnant. She was, uh, it was Alia. That's so. awesome. It's, I always tell people I, I spent, I was there a couple different times and spent the second time some extended time there. Sicily is, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth because it has every, across the island, you have every single like type of terrain represented. You have the coastal beautiful beach towns. You have the rolling mountainous hill towns. You have the coal towns. You have the, the ancient ruined towns. You have even the the volcano on the island is it mount is that mount etna mount etna yeah right so you even have like snow right there. Snow you have peak, everything snow covered mountains absolutely it's amazing it's it it's an unbelievable place but it's just it's also like a tragic place just cuz they've never had stability there right. it's always been conquered which is what leads to things like the mafia right. and all that for sure i you know i loved it and i thought it was tremendous uh, the people uh but then again, they you know they treated they treated us with deference. Um, oh, you my, when yeah, you went there due to my grandfather, right? Yeah, they you know the, the whole town came out when I when I went there and really welcomed us. Absolutely, they uh, you know they knew we were coming, and when we got there, we had a nice reception, and it was it definitely you know felt like you know I think I mentioned to you it felt like a rock star uh, when we were there. So. Now, how does that work? Does your dad make a phone call before you go, or absolutely? Okay. You know, well, I mean, they had to make reservations at the hotel, and because they wanted to stay at the, you know, there was an inn right there at the, you know, at the port, and you know, they wanted me and my my new wife to stay at the same place that they had, you know, back in '56. So, um, yeah, definitely, they made a call, and um, they rolled out the red carpet, and. I loved it. That's pretty sick. <laughs> I, could, I could get used to living like that, right? Yeah. You know? um, That's amazing. Like yeah. two generations later and everything too. They're doing yeah. that. What an experience. But the the only other thing that I have not brought up today that I got to get your thoughts on is the other main, like most respected mafia art ever created in The Sopranos, which just right. changed TV. How, because that's that's more that's the modern mafia. That's a take mm -hmm. on what it's like today after Rico, after right. all this stuff. Like, in your dad's opinion, or I guess your grandfather kind of died like right after it came out. But like in your dad's opinion, how how accurate was that show? It was pretty accurate. I mean, they came to dad and got him. You know, he consulted on a couple of the episodes. Oh, really? Um, and you know, I, I, the wardrobes. Absolutely. I think they nailed it. I mean, all those guys dressed just like the guys dressed. Um, I was really impressed with the, you know, the wardrobe. And then, you know, some of the stories like, you know, there's one uh, episode where a kid's wearing a baseball hat, you know, in a restaurant and they, you know, they make him take the baseball hat. I've been in many restaurants with my dad and, you know, they didn't, not only did not they not wear hats in a restaurant, Nobody else did, and they didn't. They didn't <laughs> yeah. let it happen. Or there's another uh, episode where I think um, the daughter's boyfriend wants to pick up a tab. And, oh yeah, yeah, yep. and that happened too. You didn't, you know, when my dad was at a table, the head of the table, he's picking up the tab, mm. and even though people try to be nice, it was an insult to a man 
uh, you know, to one of those guys to pick up a tab, right? Whether you, you know, you can have great intentions, but just not something you did. And, you know, I saw people get rep reprimanded for trying to, you know, reach for a check when, no, it's not your place. It's funny. So uh, those things were absolutely accurate. You know? the, the first time with like a really serious girlfriend in college when I went out to dinner with her mm -hmm. parents that, you know, they weren't, they were doctors. They weren't right. even in the mob or anything. But like her dad was Italian and I was always a guy like I, you know, I like to do respectful things for people when right. I can or whatever. But that was one thing, like when we would go somewhere, even if it was like a tab, I could totally afford. I'm like, oh yeah, I can't do that. I'm gonna get the shit kicked out. Right. It's just, it's, it's an, it, they took it as an insult, right? Yeah. And you're right. That's not mafia. That's that's the Sicilian Italian. Yeah. That's the way those guys are for sure. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. So I think um, you know I never watched the the Sopranos until uh, maybe five or six years ago. Really? When it was yeah. I just really never was interested. Just thought oh, I was another you know mob thing and then. Mm. But everybody kept talking about it, and then uh, you know when Netflix came and whatever HBO. network is HBO, yeah. whatever, you know you could just watch stream it, and I got into it. And I loved it. Yeah, it's because it's you know the son, you know the kid. I forget his name, but a lot of those uh, AJ AJ, yeah, a lot of those situations he was in, uh, I could relate because uh, I was, you know, that was kind of my, you know early teenage years, teenage years when dad was mm -hmm. around and some of these things. So I think they did a real good job with that. And like yeah. figuring out, you're saying where, what your family business is. Right. That right. Kind of right. Thing. That, right. The discovery and, and realization of what, you know, what was going on. So, um, you know, and then the way he treated his daughter as, you know, as the princess, you know, my dad definitely, you know, there was no equal distribution. You know, was there? She, he had a favorite, and it was clear. Mm. It was my my sister, right? You know? That's funny. <laughs> so nobody ever doubted that, and you could see that in the Soprano. I, you know, there were some parallels, and I think they did a good job with it. So yeah, and and without going into names, though, like obviously you were never around this life or in it. But do you? Mm -hmm. Because you're literally a banana, like in right. the face as well. Do you? Are there? Is there any way that? there's some guys who are in it today that you like know or that know you or like when you're in town, go to dinner with you and want a good story or vice versa, that kind of thing. Well, uh, yes. I mean, recently, you know, a lot of them are, you know, in their nine, you know, have been passed away, but there are right. still, um, some made guys that are still around that, uh, you know, treat us great. They're, you know, they might as well be blood relatives. That's how close, you know, mm. they are. And they, you know, they, they, they treat me great. They treat my brothers and sisters great. Um, they're, you know, they're family for sure. Um, so yes, to answer that question, there are still, there are still some guys around that, uh, you know, that are made guys. <laughs> I feel like, you know, the best restaurant in every city in this right. country. <laughs> I wish I, I could just, say that. I get, I get a feeling you might. I could probably, yeah. <laughs> With a few questions, you know, a few calls, I could probably find it. Right. But, uh, yeah, there are, you know, some, some benefits for sure. Uh, I remember one time not too long ago, I had a business trip with a buddy and we were in Brooklyn and um, he wanted to go to Peter Luger's and, you know, uh, we went there. It was just packed, you know, long wait and, you know, called one of my dad's buddies and, you know, he showed up and they got us right in, Boom. got us the table. I mean, it's like the seas parted as soon as they saw it, <laughs> as soon as they saw, realized who it was, right? He said who I was and boom, we got a table and. Apparently that's a big thing in in Brooklyn to have a you know walk in and get a table at Peter Luger's, but we enjoyed it to this <laughs> so, day. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate you changing around your schedule and stopping through town because you live out in Arizona. Right. We happened to catch you while you were somewhere else on the East Coast, so this was 
great and it was also like action we were moving through history yeah. and i haven't done this in a while on the mob so i was nerding out and i really really appreciate getting the great. chance to do well, it with you thanks for having me and, and hope we can uh, continue this and in a mutual beneficial way absolutely right. and where you're going to be doing a site for the family right is that going to be like, yeah. a, like its own website yeah well right now it's just you know to sell some merchandise because you know I've seen some other, the other guys are making, it's like, <laughs> why are they doing this? And then, no, well, they're making that much selling merchandise. So, um, yeah, I mean, I want to over time make this a, you know, a site that, you know, will have some information for people and, you know, we could go over different, you know, different topics. But for now, it's basically a, you know, an e-commerce site. Um, it's called Bonanno, bonannofamily.org. Uh, Easy when, enough. Yeah. When, when the internet first, you know, well, not when it first came up, but when it started getting popular, my dad, you know, always wanted to get that URL, bananafamily.org. But, you know, back then, .org was only for, you know, nonprofit organizations. Well, now you can use it, you know, for, for anything. General, so, yeah. so that's why I picked that, um, you know, that URL. Because, you know, dad used to always joke, oh, the organization, you know, bananafamily.org. It was, he always got a chuckle out of that. And so we're going to make a go of it. All right, cool. Well, when you start putting some stuff on there, I think I think that would also help with awareness for getting people interested in doing like feature documentaries and stuff. Like if they're buying a T-shirt with the Esquire picture, of your grandfather on yeah. it, that that definitely has some pop culture. Anyway, help yeah, it's a start, and that's the, and we'll see where it goes from there. Cool. Well, thank you again so much, and I hope everyone else enjoyed this as much as I did. Right. It's great. Thank Everybody you. else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace.